we're back. Finally, after a month away. I know it's been literally the longest time of all of your lives, because you don't have much else to do. But we're back. No, you've just been sitting around waiting literally, for us to Literally, we know return. that you guys have been waiting, and you've been frothing at every orifice that can possibly do a froth. And we are back with our long-awaited Aiden and Mark versus Halloween. Long-awaited. We're finally doing this episode we threatened. So many people. The emails have All been five flooding of you. in. When are you doing the Halloween special? Well, we've done the Halloween special, but this is the Halloween special. Yeah, yeah. We do more than one on this show. But no, we're finally back after the, the long old month it's been, and we're here to do yet another Aiden and Mark Versus, which is a, an episode that we both quite like, because it requires minimal editing, and we just get to talk bollocks for however long yeah, this episode Yeah, so goes it's going to be even less structured than the usual Kino Inferno episode. Um... Basically, yeah, we just talk about the movies in a franchise, give our thoughts on them, and use our painted rating system, which I'm sure we'll. What's it going to be for this I'm one? I'm sure we'll because remember. we usually have it tailored. I'm sure we? we'll remember what it is by the end of talking about Halloween one, and I'm sure we'll definitely remember <laughs> to give it a rating as we always do. <laughs> so come on, what are the ratings? We need to establish it now. Well, just so people know. Well, I think you'll remember that the rating system is. Um, Stabbingly good, yep. stalkingly bad. Okay. Stabbing? No, hang on. We've done stabbing. Um, well, surely, surely stalking would be good because you'd want to stalk witching, something. Like. Witchingly, season of the witchingly average. Okay, or, I like that. One. Um, I like that. Just a bit of shit, really. Yeah. No, because we usually was it shit, <laughs> shit. I mean, shit, the actual yeah, it. the actual rating system is good. <laughs> Good, but I hate it. Shit, shit, but I love it. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> cool. So, now that we've given this episode some structure, let's completely ruin that and start talking about these movies. So, we're to talk about the Halloween movies, and this is going to be slightly different to what we've done previously, because we've usually talked about an entire franchise in one episode. When it comes to the Halloween movies, we simply can't do that, because there is 13 of these fucking movies. Jesus Christ. That's how many they've made now. There's too many. There really is. And You're telling me. Sadly, I'm one of those people that has seen every single one of them more than once. I'm yeah, one of them. I think I've seen most of them once. Uh, I mean, I've seen the good ones several times. I've, I've seen the bad ones a handful of times. Good ones. Ones with a plural there. Interesting. Yes. And so this is going to be split Spicy into multiple episodes. Take. Mark thinks more than one. I do have one slightly spicy take on the Halloween. Actually, I think I've got more than one spicy hot take on the the Halloween series. I think you're the only person who Um, has hot takes on the Halloween franchise. Do you know what, right? I used to think the same, and then I discovered the internet and the the darkest recesses of the internet where people actually love all of these movies, and those people are psychopaths. I just want to throw that out there. Um, Because I've watched these movies several times. I don't love them all. They're almost as big a psychopath as our special guest for the episode. Oh, of course. The one and only Michael Myers. Pleasure to have you on the show, Yeah, big fans of your work, Mike. Um, Obviously, Michael will be contributing throughout the episode. Um, He's in all these movies apart from Season of the Witch. Which we are talking about today. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, so this episode yes. um, is what we're dubbing 
part one, The Carpenter Years. So essentially what that means is these are the first three movies in the franchise which John Carpenter actually had some direct involvement with. And if you don't know who John Carpenter is, why the fuck are you listening to the show? Like, genuine question, mm. why? Good question. It's Uncultured a- swine. This is the first time we've covered a John Carpenter film on the podcast. It actually is, isn't it? Which is surprising, because both me and you absolutely worship the ground that man walks on. Yeah, I mean, we're big Carpenter fans, so it seems weird that we've, we've only just covered a Carpenter film. But there you go. The first one we're doing is Halloween. Which is, you know, arguably one of his most popular and iconic. and Yeah, it's probably overall definitely... the most famous movie that he directed, I would say. Yeah, 100%. It's the movie that launched his career. So, I suppose we'd best not waste any time and let's actually just discuss Halloween. Again, Mark, you've made the same mistake you did last time we did one of these versus things. We don't, there's no, we're not dropping any trailer audio in. It's a, it's, I, see, I thought we would. I thought that would make sense. It's a versus episode, so you just got to get straight into it. Fair enough. Okay, let me redo no, we're that. We're not redoing it, we're leaving all this in. <laughs> Say, so say Halloween. Like, don't just leave dead air. <laughs> like. Right, I'm just going to do another lead in. If you choose to cut this out, you can. Okay. Um, so, let's not waste any time. Let's just talk about Halloween. So, Halloween, iconic horror movie, 1978, completely, you know, revolutionized the genre in terms of what it spawned. Um, and I'm assuming if anybody here hasn't seen Halloween, stop listening to this right now and just go and watch Halloween. Jesus fucking Christ, just go and watch mm. it. Um, because like, Halloween is one of those movies that I suppose these days maybe like more modern audiences perhaps haven't seen it, but they've absolutely seen movies that are directly inspired by it or at least still paying homage. I feel like to most it. people have seen Halloween. I don't know. Well, it's. I think ultimately, if you have an interest in film, it's very much one of the essential films you need to watch because it is from like a filmmaker so I mean, we'll get into this more as we talk about the movie but like it's it's quite an important artifact in the history of film yeah yeah like it's kind of the first real like slasher movie i suppose um there are yeah kind of, we did an episode yeah, previously are, like, on the whole like precedence proto slash of course but i think this is probably the first movie that's really codifies all the tropes that you would associate with slasher movies i know there are there are movies that predate mm-hmm. it but like to my mind this is the one where it's like, okay, there's a masked killer, there's a final girl, like all the aspects that would come to define the genre later on are kind of present here. For better and for worse, like I think there's some of the aspects of this film that people have taken on that are maybe not the best. It's the whole thing of like, premarital sex means you're gonna die, which I would argue is not necessarily this yeah. film's fault, but no. it, is, it is very much present in this film. Anyone who gets a stiff dick in in this film, also gets a stiff shank in minutes later. They do, but also it's worth noting that anyone who gets a stiff dicking in this movie doesn't get a good dicking, because the dickings in this movie last all of 30 seconds. They are like two pumps Yeah, the men of Haddonfield are not... They're not representing, to be honest. They're not bringing the heat. No, they're really not. And I think that's why Michael kills them. Because he's just appalled by their dick game. Like, Michael's never had a sniff of puss, but he knows how to crush one, should the opportunity arise. Yeah, that's arise. true. I don't, that think, right, I don't think Michael Myers has ever got it wet. I mean, he was sectioned at age 10 or something, so... So, Halloween, made and released in 1978. Um, so, this is, like, a true low-budget movie, because this movie was made for $300,000, which, 
even back then was like shit all money. Mm. Like I think it's uh, adjusted for inflation. It's something like just over a million dollars these days. And if you consider what movies are made for these days, a million dollars is nothing. Yeah, like really when you consider like the budget that went into the the modern Halloween trilogy, it's like yeah, yes, the, they were made for something between ten to fifteen million yeah, a yeah. movie. And you go, yeah. and again, and by today's standards, that's very low budget. Yeah, that is low budget, but it's it's kind of yeah, the comparison is kind of amazing, especially given the uh, difference in quality. Um, but we'll get we'll get yeah, to that we'll later. We'll get to point. it in a later episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, though three hundred thousand dollars, and it's also worth noting as well. 20, I think twenty five thousand dollars of the budget went to Donald Pleasance's salary, yeah. like because he is the only person in this movie at the time who was actually a recognised. Yeah, because this film, uh, yeah, in the credits says introducing Jamie Lee Curtis. It is. Who yes. is the actual and, protagonist of the film? But obviously, this was this her first film, maybe. This was her first film. Uh, she was in a TV series prior. That was her first like major right. role, but this was her first film. Um, but if I remember correctly, I believe the TV series got cancelled before Halloween came out, so they used the introducing credit right, right. <laughs> to be like, she's a, she's a legit actress now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and obviously she's obviously the for most daughter people. of Janet Lee from Psycho, so... Which is what I was yeah. about to say, yeah. And um, supposedly that was a big part of why John Carpenter and Deborah Hill cast her. Obviously, that's not to say anything about her acting ability because obviously she is a fantastic. You're actress. accusing Jamie Lee Curtis uh, of being a nepo baby. She is a nepo <laughs> baby. I think she'll be the first to admit it because <laughs> Jamie Lee is a good sport for the most part. Well, um, we'll, we'll get into that as time goes on. I think. Yeah, that's a whole. We'll get thing. into that's Jamie Lee Curtis and her proclamations later on. I think. Yeah, that's uh, that's for another episode. But yeah, so Halloween, yeah, it was Jamie Lee Curtis's first movie. Uh, she's the lead in it. Um, so we should probably summarize the plot. It's a very, very yeah, easy I mean, plot Yeah, I mean, the plot is kind of a generous term. Yeah, I mean, well, this is that's ultimately what I want to get into about Halloween. So we'll, we'll go through the plot and then I'll sort of get onto my more in-depth nerdy thoughts on it later. Um, but so Halloween tells the story of Michael Myers, who we have sitting with us here. Nice to have you, Mike. Pleasure. <laughs> keep the knife away um he basically as a child murders his sister in one of the best opening scenes to any horror movie ever um in which we see through the killer's pov as they watch their well they watched judith myers and her boyfriend go upstairs for very very unsatisfying sex <laughs> and then sneaks through the house gets a knife goes upstairs puts a clown mask on does the old stabby stabby goes downstairs uh goes out the front door to which uh two adults approach and they unmask the child Michael Myers um, I've just realised I butchered that scene but everyone's seen this movie so it doesn't matter um, and yeah so we reveal that our killer is a child we then flash forward uh, 15 years yes. uh, to which oh, no, this is a point then... I want to bring up in the next movie where Dr. Loomis quite clearly says Michael Myers is 21 years old and then the credits for some reason list one actor is playing Michael Myers, age 23, which... Yeah, that's just a general mistake. I know that for a fact. That's a mistake. Um, if you watch Halloween with the commentary on it, they point that okay. out. <laughs> as a mistake. <laughs> I, just, I just think um, it's funny because in the movie, they clearly have a character say he's 21 years old. Yeah, the, Dr. Lubas very explicitly states yeah. that when they're looking for dental records. But we'll get to Halloween too later. Um, so, 15 years after doing the stabs on his sister, um, Michael stabs. has been imprisoned in doing the stabs. Mm. Doing the stabs. Um, so, he's been imprisoned in Smith Grove Sanitarium for 15 years. 
Uh, we're then introduced to Dr. Loomis, played by Donald Pleasance, yes. um, who most people probably know from James Bond, above all else, I would probably say. Yeah. Because he was Blofeld. Various other things, but yes, he was Blofeld in one of the yeah. movies. Yeah, The Great Escape, he was in yeah, that as well. Yeah. Um, but he was in a plethora of movies and very, very famous, very refined, very credible actor uh, to be in such a low-budget movie. Um, we're introduced to Dr. Loomis, who is with Nurse Marion Crane. Is it, no, it's not Marion Crane, that's from Psycho, yeah. isn't it? It's Marion... Whatever her last name is. She's, it's clearly an allusion to Psycho. Mm. Um, so he is in a car with Marion, and they're talking about how they're going to be transporting Michael from one hospital to another, and they're talking about why that's, you know, this is a silly idea, and Loomis is talking about how, okay, so we're going to give him Thorazine, uh, which is basically going to drug him up to the eyeball so he can't do anything. Yes. Uh, they they then arrive at Smith's Grove Sanitarium and find the inmates wandering around outside in the night, which is one of my favourite shots in the movie. There's something really eerie about that, yeah, I think, yeah. just seeing these patients just wandering around. And during this, uh, Dr. Loomis makes the very interesting decision to not drive on up to the hospital, but to get out of the car and phone the security booth. Don't know why he yeah, thinks this is a good no. idea when there are loonies running around all over the place. Well, this is something that will come up time and time again, is that Dr. Loomis just makes the strangest plays throughout this franchise. He does. He also likes to just talk in endless bollocks. Yeah, he really does. <laughs> he loves to hammer a monologue home. I mean, the first one, I, I've forgotten how much monologuing he does, because obviously there's the famous speech he does later on to the the sheriff, or whoever that is, where he's like... Oh, Mr. Sheriff Lee Brackett. Yeah, yeah, where he's, you know, he's like, oh, I saw his eyes, it was the devil's eyes. You know, that's, the blackest yeah. eyes, yeah. Oh, that's like um, a pretty. That's like a pretty effective scene. But then you forget that every scene he's in is just him being like, "It was evil, evil as black as the night," or whatever the fuck. He's just always saying the shit at all times. Well, I mean, the biggest weird player the entire movie, uh, which I'll come back to the plot as such. But like, so we have the whole thing where. So well, I'll just fast forward for fuck it. We everyone's seen this movie. No, the basic um, plot. Look, so, the basic plot is this: Michael Myers escapes from the mental asylum. It's Halloween night and he's coming home, baby! Um, when um, he gets home, he mostly just kind of wanders around the town for a bit and then he finds some people <laughs> that he wants to kill and he kills them. One of the people on his hit list is Laurie Strode, who is a babysitter yes. of no importance until no. the second and movie. The only reason he sees her is because her dad is a real estate agent yes. who is going to be selling the old Myers, Myers house. Yeah. So... At the start of the movie, he gives her the key to put onto the doormat so he can show somebody around. And as she does that, Michael just clocks her through the window and then just starts following. And he's like, "I'd murder that." Yeah, he's just full on like, "I'm going to give her the stabs." Um, Give it the stabs. Yeah, and he kills all their friends. Uh, There's some toing and froing from different houses because um, they're all babysitting these teenagers are, which is something that I wanted to flag up as well because I'm like, "This is Halloween night. There's no fucking way that these teenagers are, are babysitting. Like, surely they're going out and getting drunk." Which is kind of what they are doing whilst babysitting. More on that later. Yeah. I just find it interesting yeah, that everyone's parents are out on Halloween, but the teens are all Well, home. it's America, isn't well, it? Like, sure. Halloween's a big thing over there. Sure, but I'm kind of yeah. like, what, the entire town's adults have just gone out for the night, have they? Um, well, that's one thing that's quite interesting about this movie, I think, is there's a, there's a real absence of adult characters yeah. outside of the sheriff and Dr. Loomis. Like, you... The... the uh, parents that Laurie is babysitting for, you never see them. Yeah, that's true. Like, they're, yeah. they're just not in the movie. Because La- Laurie and, and her friends are supposed to be like 17, 18, right? They're like. Late, yeah, yeah, they're high school late, students. Yeah. yeah, late high school. And 
you know, they're, they're doing the thing, which I was talking to my friends when I rewatched them for this um, episode, I watched it with my friend who had seen the first one, never seen the second one. And he was there like, they're just going to like drink and fuck and smoke in these people's houses. I was like, well, I guess that's what teenagers just did in the 70s. Like, when else would you have the opportunity to do those things? You know, but oh, I'm babysitting. I've got a house to myself. The kids are upstairs. You know, let's party. And I suppose that is probably is what people did back then. Yeah, yeah. Very irresponsible, may I point out. But. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a cliche in American media of, like, you know, the babysitter has their boyfriend round and all this kind of stuff. And, like, I don't know how much of it's true and how much of it is, like, uh, I mean, I'm sure people got up to it and take advantage of the situation, but, like... Well, I do know that, because um, this movie is written by John Carpenter and Deborah mm-hmm. Hill, and Deborah Hill wrote most of the... Well, I think she wrote all of the the sort of dialogue between the female characters, and she based it on her own experiences of babysitting. So I think there is like a a nugget of truth in like a lot of what happens mm. in the movie. But it is dead weird though that like, yeah, fair enough. If Annie, the babysitter, is going to have her boyfriend over to do the nasty on the sofa while the kids are upstairs asleep, the fact that her friend brings her boyfriend round yes. to do it is dead weird. That is weird. <laughs> that is weird. <laughs> There are definitely scenes in this where I was like, what is anyone doing? Because also, cause, yeah, because you're right, Laurie's mate, like, dumps a kid on Laurie because she's like, I can't bother to look after this kid. I want to get my ass fucked. And she's like... <laughs> I mean, that's... Also, she is so horny. Like, she's she's singing about wanting dick. Well, she's a beast in general, that woman. <laughs> absolute beast. Annie is a force of nature. We love her for Is she her. the one as well? Earlier in the movie, they're, like, cruising around, smoking a joint. Yeah, that's Annie. So Annie is yeah. one of Laurie's two best friends. So to establish, we have Laurie, who's Jamie Lee Curtis, who's like the, like you said, when people apply like sort of thematics and criticisms to this movie, they're like, oh, she's the pure virgin one. It's like, mm, she smokes pot though. Yeah. Is she that pure? Like, I mean, she's bad at smoking pot. We see that very vividly on camera. Yeah. Um, but her two friends, she's got Annie, who is babysitting across the road from her. And then she's also got, um, well, I can't remember her name. She's my favorite cat. Linda. Got Staffy. Linda. <laughs> uh, Linda who is played by PJ Souls uh, who I think is just a fucking great character with her catchphrase of totally which she just says yeah, she says constantly near yeah. constantly constantly <laughs> where she's like it's totally dark it's like okay <laughs> okay <laughs> thanks honestly like I didn't believe this until I saw it in a cinema but I heard about how apparently if you watch this movie in a cinema because I've seen it twice mm. now because our local Odeon likes to play it around Halloween time and it's always just a good one to go and see and it's still, I have to report, still plays very, very well in a cinema. It's a lot of fun to watch with a big audience. Um, but I didn't actually believe that people like Rocky Horror it, <laughs> where every time Linda goes, totally, everyone in the audience just goes, totally! <laughs> it's just so much fun. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's something else I would kind of want to highlight about this movie before we sort of go back into like the story beats and stuff. Is when people talk about this movie, they talk about like, you know, the, the cinematography, the performances, the atmosphere. The, you know all of that kind of stuff I think the one thing that they don't tend to bring up as much is that this movie does have a sense of humour and it is quite funny in parts yeah, yeah. especially Linda's death scene I think is particularly yes. funny I think that's the funniest scene well, in the entire is, movie yeah, for, for no apparent reason Michael Myers decides to just do a bit he does, but I think that's inherently tied to the whole kind of Halloween theme of the movie like you know it's yeah. a night of pranks and it's tricks it's just kind of one stuff. of those like, things where because this is the I mean people will remember the scene right this is the one where he kills the boyfriend but then he puts the sheet over his head 
and he puts the boyfriend's glasses over the sheet for for no Which for no good reason. Me. Every time, well, he has to put across the illusion that it's him. <laughs> well, I like the idea that Michael Myers thought it through to that extent. But he goes up even further than that when you think about it, because the boyfriend, after he gets killed, Michael strings his body up in a closet yeah, yeah. as like a, a gag. Like Michael is kind of very into the whole kind of like theatricality <laughs> of his murders. I mean, he steals his fucking sister's headstone at one well, point. Yeah, that's like, true. That's true. He does set up a little. Um... Yeah, you just set up a little diorama. For, he does. Like, he's very proud of his work, and we and we like that. Well, this is kind of the, the right. This is the fundamental issue with Michael Myers as a character. It's like, and the fact that they've made thirteen of these fucking films. Yeah, is bottom line doesn't really have much of a character because in this movie, no, he's very like obviously they do that. They set him up as like. Uh, something in him just snapped that that day that he killed his sister, and he's just he's just like a void of a man now, and you know he's credited as the shape in the in the credits. Um, yeah. So they're very into this idea of him being like this kind of like faceless, formless, just force of violence. Well, he's he's, he's the boogeyman, isn't he? Like, yeah, but then he kind of in this movie, I don't think he really does it in other movies. He just kind of starts doing bits <laughs> like you know he like fucks I think with his, he does uh, victims more yeah he's a bit more kind of playful mm. in this one i think and i think to a degree that carries over to the sequel which we will come to yeah um, maybe but i think he just kind of becomes think, a generic killer after this movie yeah he does which is something we can definitely talk about but um yeah in this movie there's just kind of a few more layers to what he's about compared to the because we're going to get into the sequels eventually, guys, and there's some there's some rough movies yeah, in this franchise. Be, Let's put it that way. There are some rough movies. <laughs> um, yeah, God. So um, made no, as recently like Michael... as last year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. We'll get into Ugh, that. I can't believe um, I have to rewatch Halloween Ends for this stupid fucking podcast. Dude, honestly, I... Halloween Ends isn't even the worst Halloween. Movie. I feel like it's probably it's the far... most annoying though. It's no, it's really not. It's I feel really like even not. when you get into like fucking Halloween Resurrection or whatever, like at least that's just shit. At least it's not trying to be anything other than shit. Oh mate, no, no. Wait till we get to like five and six. Trust me, yeah. trust me. Um, but no. So yeah, the plot, the, the rest of the plot of this movie is as such as uh, Michael sees Laurie. He's like, I fancy killing her. He stalks her around town for a little bit in some of the some really fucking great scenes, um, which I really want to flag up those early scenes where Laurie's like in the classroom and Michael is just parked yes. across the road staring at her because that's so fucking creepy. Yeah, well, that whole stuff is the it's probably the more effective stuff in the in the movie rather than like the, any of the actual uh, kills because this is something about this film that might surprise people who haven't seen it before. It's like there isn't actually that much. For it being the, you know, kind of prototypical slasher movie, there isn't all that much on-screen violence, like a lot of it's implied. Like, you don't, it's very you don't even see the well. dog very that Michael bloodless. Myers supposedly ate. And I had a, I had a real memory of, you saw this, like, semi-devoured dog corpse in this movie, but you don't. They just point, they just no, point to it off-screen. And do you know what I think that what? is? It's because they show that, in Halloween Kills. Yeah, yeah, so maybe I'm just kind of... As like a nod to the original, the they show that. But I had a distinct yeah. memory that you saw the dog cops in this movie. I guess it's kind of like yeah. that Texas Chainsaw Massacre thing where it's... You remember it as being more bloody than it is. 
Yeah, because there's like barely any blood in this movie. Mm. I think the most blood you see is on a corpse. Yeah, you yeah. don't actually see like blood flying around or anything. Because also, there's only like what three or four on-screen deaths in this yeah. movie. Yeah, because you have Judith who gets murdered at the beginning. You do see a bit of blood on her because she has her wabs out <laughs> and they're covered in blood. Yeah. You see that uh, as, as you um, do, as you must. Yeah, yeah. Any you see the blood on the any bone. chebs must be um, covered in blood. <laughs> it's the it's the rule of these movies. Um, so Judith dies, and then Annie gets killed in the car, but she has her throat slit, mm. and you don't see anything. No, you just kind of see him like behind her, and then her yeah, sort of and dying. you see the knife yeah. do the slitting action, but you don't see any gore. Um, Bob is pinned to a door with a knife, but there's no blood. Yeah, it's you know you still see him pinned to a, a door, which is a really cool visual. Um, then Linda is strangled with a phone cord, mm. so no blood involved in that. Death. And then that's it. Like nobody else dies in the rest of the movie. Um, there is the trucker yes. who is killed off screen. Yeah, uh, where Michael gets his overalls from. Yes, that's true. Yeah, which is another thing. Yeah, about you see these, his body about these films. It's like, why is he always wearing the overalls in every subsequent movie? Because like d- he gets them just as clothes that he stole, so he wasn't wearing. I mean, this is kind of the problem with this film, right? Is that it's not a problem with this film at all, and this is something we'll get into as the as the franchise goes on. But the fact that they decided to make you know, well, I guess eleven more Michael Myers movies, the fa- twelve. Well, I'm not I'm not counting Season of the Witch. Oh well, yeah, yeah, yeah of course, yeah, Michael yeah, Myers course. isn't in that one. But um, yeah, good point. <laughs> the but the thing about Michael Myers is like he's, and I mean this with the greatest respect to to you, Michael, but um. The character just is not that interesting outside of this film. Like in this film, he works perfectly well because it's kind of because that's the whole point of the movie. He's just this lingering sense of violence that could happen at any minute. In fact, most of the movie's runtime is him stalking people in broad daylight, and you know, also at night later on. But like, I actually think that some of the scariest stuff is when he's just like on the street in the day. And like, I think that it yeah. taps into this like 1970s idea that was very kind of in the zeitgeist of like inner city violence coming into the into the suburbs. Yeah, that's very much what this movie and like you know Assault on Precinct 13. If we're going down the junk, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that is a theme in those movies where it's this sense of like senseless violence, and like that's what's scary about it. It's almost Lovecraftian in that way of like it can't be reasoned with. There's no real motive. It just kind of is happening to you for no good reason. Well, John Carpenter's also said uh, many times before that part of what it's inspired by, and I think both of us will absolutely understand this, in that every single town has that one house where something bad happened, or at least has a story about something bad that happened there, and it's predominantly teenagers and young adults that always talk about it. Yes, yeah. And no matter where you live... Everywhere has this dark secret. Yeah, or everywhere has, yeah. And the, Halloween is about the, that the thing secret coming that happened, back. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up down the road from where Colin Pitchfork used to live, for example. So it's. Fair which enough. is why I find the. Well, I mean, we'll get into it. It's why I find these later um, Halloween movies so funny because, like, everyone in the town is talking about, like, the evil that rose up from the depths of the town. It's like. Bitch, I live like if we're just because you know how the the new trilogy just disregards everything apart from Halloween one. That would be like if everyone where I'm from was like the evil that surrounds Colin Pitchfork. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> no, we're just all like, hey, that's kind of fucked up that that happened anyway. 
you know or it's like a you know a story of interest to to people but like this idea yeah and this is kind of my issue with the first movie is the first movie is or not the first movie sorry but beyond the first movie is that the first halloween is like um it's just a it's a suspense thriller it's fairly you know bare bones obviously what it goes on to inspire is kind of why it's given this more elevated position like i think it's a well-made film as well but I, th- I think this this idea that it needed a million sequels is is just baffling to me, because it didn't need no. a million sequels. That's the thing; it really didn't. Because taken for what it is, the original Halloween is a complete yeah. story. Yeah, it has like you a know, beginning, um, middle, and end. Yeah, yeah, and even though the ending is very ambiguous, yeah. it's an ending, and it's a very fitting ending for the the sort of the themes and what the movie's actually about. So it didn't need a sequel. No. So I think this is. The, I mean, this it is the problem with like franchise franchise horrible. filmmaking in general. It's like. The point of Michael Myers disappearing at the end of the first Halloween movie is not so he can kill again. It's like you know the evil never truly leaves. It's like you know you kill you kill no. the man, but there's always this. There's always going to be another man, you know. Yeah, or there's exactly. There's always going to be and another it's... dark thing that happens. You know, that's the point of it. Yeah. And if anything, it's ultimately scarier knowing that he's still out there somewhere. Yeah, yeah, and this is kind of like, giving that's you far that, scarier. that ending, you know, because that's... Again, this is something they go back and forth on in all the subsequent sequels of, like, is Michael Myers just a bloke? Or is he the living embodiment of human evil? <laughs> and, like, I think the fact that there is no decisive answer to that is kind of... It's kind of an issue... Of them making sequels to a movie that didn't need sequels. Yeah, you know? it's it's a testament to the idea that this movie did not need sequels yeah. because they and we'll talk about this as we go on in this fucking series because I think and I'm not to get too ahead of myself. I think after the second movie, they really don't know what Michael Myers is as a no. character. I I think the second movie still keeps that idea alive. I mean, we'll get into the second movie because I I do have thoughts about certain aspects of that film, but. Um... Yeah, and I'm very interested to talk about that one. Um, but we should we'll, we'll finish talking about the first one first because I think it really can't be overstated how great this is. As yeah, a just movie. in terms of like, like how well made it is. Like, there's all that classic. Yeah. I mean, it's shot by Dean Cundey. Um, yeah, but there's all those classic yeah. like long takes of just wide shots and like it really gets you into that headspace of like where is Michael Myers? Like you're always looking for him in the yeah. background. Like all the shots kind of linger. Even the shots that he's not in kind of linger for a few seconds longer, just to give you that idea of. Um, yeah, the sort of the general presentation. Not only is it's all done in like ultra wide yeah, as yeah. well, which is uh, one of my favourite methods of like filmmaking, and I think Dean Cundey is like the master of yeah. that as well. And so even when you just got Laurie walking down the street on her own, there's all this empty space around her, and you really kind of feel how small she is and how anything could just come out at any point and get yeah. her and then even when the movie does move to more um secluded and tighter locations you've still got all that space on the frame and michael could literally be anywhere and they do some incredible stuff with michael yeah um i wrote an entire essay as part of my master's degree about the cinematography of this movie and about how it like personifies michael myers and stuff and it's just it's and my biggest conclusion i think so many people have talked about this as well the reason why this movie works so well is how simple yeah. it is. It's so simple. And I've seen it replicated time and time again. I think the most recent example I can think of that I watched in a cinema and went, this is just this is just cribbing from Halloween. Did you, did you see The Invisible Man? Yes. It was Halloween 
completely yeah, in the way I that think it was it's shot. Definitely and something. Together. I think a lot of modern filmmakers uh, in the horror genre are very um, indebted to John Carpenter in general. You know, it gets gets referenced a lot as an as an yeah. influence. Um, well, actually, I mean, even as recently as um, I watched Barbarian recently, I've not seen that, and that's got a huge like John Carpenter influence yeah. on it. Like even down to the score, the score is very John Carpenter in that movie as well. But the way certain shots are framed is, I was immediately yeah, reminded yeah. of Halloween watching Barbarian. Yeah, I think that um, um, Invisible Man, as you say, um, it follows definitely very influenced by uh, it follows um, could have been directed by john carpenter i feel yeah <laughs> yeah it's really very could've. of that style and i think that's something that the sequels all suffer from is like john carpenter is you know whatever you might think of the quality of some of his later output like he's a very efficient filmmaker like he doesn't he's not the showiest filmmaker ever like there's not the kind of stuff where you're going to watch his films and be like Oh, I remember that really crazy like crane shot or all these whip pans or anything like that. But he's very kind of like very lean and efficient and doesn't really waste time. Um, I mean, as an example of a scene that stood out to me watching it this time, it's a very short scene, but it's the scene where Loomis comes across the truck that's like abandoned on the side of the road. Yeah. Obviously, the truck is like dead, but he doesn't see the trucker. Yeah, yeah. the trucker's like in the bushes. And it's it's only like it's a scene that consists of like a few shots where Loomis in wide coming up to the truck. Then the close-up on the, the the matchbook is it that he finds this kind of disregard? Yeah, the rabbit yeah, in yeah. red matchbook. And yeah. then close-up on his face, and then wide again as he leaves, and the camera just moves across just enough that you can see that the truck drives just like dead behind a bush, and that Loomis just missed the corpse. Yeah, it's, like, it's such a simple scene with no dialogue, music, and the way it's shot and put together, and it's like that kind of thing. I think is what elevates John Carpenter above all these kind of. With the best one in the world, um, director for hires who did basically every other Halloween movie. Yeah, and I would completely agree. And I think one uh, little detail of that scene where Loomis finds the truck as well. I love that Michael's um, patient rags are just kind of littered about yeah, the place. Yeah. And again, there is no dialogue in the scene, but like you know what they are, yeah. and you know what's happened here, and it communicates it perfectly. And one thing that I do love about that scene, and this is just coming from the fact that I've read many books and seen all the documentaries about the making of this movie because uh, in case you couldn't tell this is one of my favourite films ever and I make no bones about saying that not only do I think this is one of the best horror films ever made I'm genuinely of the opinion it's one of the best films ever made I really am Um, but he talks about how in that scene where Loomis finds the truck a train goes past and that was a happy accident they were just filming there next to a train track and the train went past and they just started rolling Mm. And apparently when they yelled cut, John Carpenter, uh, Tommy Lee Wallace and Dean Cundy were like beside themselves because they were like, our movie looks like it costs twice as much now. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that that really does kind of like elevate the movie in a way because it feels like that was planned. And it's it's just one of those nice little sort of, uh, you know, bits of happenstance. But ultimately, like you can tell this is a low budget movie. Mm. There's a lot of points where you can tell it's a low budget movie because there's continuity errors. Yes. The uh, the Blu-ray version, which I watched for this, makes it even worse. <laughs> this is very much like a warts and all kind of movie now. But uh, like, for example, during Michael's escape, when he smashes the window, you can very clearly see the wrench that is taped to the actor's arm <laughs> yeah. that breaks the glass. Like, very obvious. Um, there's the now iconic and very very well recognizable shot where Annie is stood next to the bushes and a puff of smoke goes past her face yes. because John Carpenter was stood there having a smoke. 
Yeah. And I love apparently they didn't realise that was in the movie until the DVD version came out. That's <laughs> <laughs> hilarious. Um, yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of things like that. Like, obviously, famously, Michael Myers' mask is just a William Shatner mask turned inside out. That they apparently bought for like a dollar ninety nine, yeah, yeah, or something like that. Like it was because from what I get, okay, like I'm just full of all this fucking useless Halloween trivia. But um, originally they had two masks in mind. They bought the the William Shatner mask, and they also bought a clown mask. Yes, and their th- their thinking was, well, clown mask is going to be scary. Mm. That'll work. But it was when Tommy Lee Wallace, you know, like spray painted the William Shatner mask and fucked the hair up and cut the eye holes. And they all just went, Jesus Christ, that's scary. And it yeah. is. Like, my- Michael's mask is fucking brilliant. It's such I a think good it, yeah, it's much better that they went with that rather than just a clown mask. Like, I think it wouldn't have even got sequels, really, if it had the clown mask. I think the movie wouldn't be as effective. Yeah, it wouldn't work either. Clown mask. It's, it's just. I mean, this is, I mean, you know, I have a thing about the scary clown genre where I'm just like, it's just not scary anymore because it's such a cliche that, like, yeah. every. Back then, it probably wasn't. Well, like, I think it it's. I think it still unique. was. Like, I think you know that's why they went for clown mask or weird Chapman mask. You know, um, that, I mean, yeah, I, I think Michael Myers' his mask is. It's one of those things that has become iconic, and I think because it just suits that style of like, you know, you, there's, there's there is no real like distinct facial features to the mask or anything like that. There's no sense of like what Michael's personality is. It's just yeah. It's. Yeah. it's like it's described in the script, it's an absence of a person. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. I mean, it's kind of... It, that's something interesting to think about, is that this movie kind of starts that trope of the masked killers in slasher movies, I guess. Because obviously, Friday the 13th is basically just a, an entire franchise ripping off this franchise. Uh, and very admittedly, as well, Sean S. Cunningham, who directed the first movie, is very open about yeah. the fact that they made Friday the 13th to cash in on Halloween. Well, loads of these movies came out, right? I mean, well, funny we should mention that, is apparently Halloween was originally considered as a kind of anthology sequel to Black Christmas. The yeah, Black uh, Christmas. there's been a lot of dispute around that. Yeah. Um, that Bob Clark says that John Carpenter talked to him about what he yeah, would do when, if he did a sequel When you say it's considered, uh, you know, how much it was officially yeah. considered as another story, but... Yeah, but... Certainly uh, that but was also Carpenter's noting, original pitch, I think, was the... It's, yeah, it's also worth noting that prior to his death, Bob Clark did do an interview where he said, oh, I don't for one second believe that John Carpenter ripped me off or anything. Yeah, yeah. Like, he considers Halloween to be its own thing. Yeah. Um... Because I feel like some lesser directors would probably try and catch in on that. Yeah, you know, this Clark is kind of the thing, act, isn't so. it? Where I, like, I, Halloween kind of, as much as Black Christmas, people will say, is the first American slasher film, I think Halloween is the one that becomes the the trope setter from forevermore. It is. And I think ultimately as well, because like, as, as you know, like, I love Black Christmas. Mm. I really, really do. Um, but I think it's a very different film to Halloween. Yeah, it's, it's very, more along the line different. of like I would say Black Christmas is more along the line of like the Jallo movies or kind of murder mystery yeah. type stuff. Um, yeah, Black Christmas places much more of an emphasis on like characters yeah. than the well, killer, and it has the mystery Halloween as kind of right? like, whereas Halloween doesn't. Yeah, really yeah, have exactly. That. It kind whereas... of tells you straight away like what Michael Myers' deal is. It's more yeah, about exactly. the suspense like, can... than it is about any like revelations about his motivation or whatever. 
which we do then get into in yes. the sequels. But, uh... <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of I think that's kind of the problem for me with the sequels. I mean, we'll get back we'll get into them. It's like this movie is genuinely really suspenseful, and it doesn't mm. need all this extra gump about like oh he's so and so's brother's mother's dad, and maybe he was resurrected by an evil cult of thorns, or maybe he's actually just the bogeyman from some other plane of darkness and his evil can go into yeah. somebody else's brain question mark all that kind of yeah, shit yeah the ambiguity is what yeah. makes michael so scary the lack movie, of law actually like, helps it yeah exactly because especially when they do the things that this movie does like uh, one of my favorite bits when you're talking about how michael stalks people in the daylight mm. probably my favorite bit of that it was a, it's a toss-up between when she sees him behind the bush which i think is just fantastic yeah. like such a well-constructed scene but for me it's when she goes back home and she looks out of her bedroom window and he stood in her neighbor's washing yeah, yeah. just like because to me that's fucking terrifying like that's so scary yeah. but it's where it cuts back to laurie and then cuts back again and he's gone and they do that a few times in the movie which implies a supernatural element but in my head, I like to imagine he just sort of like tots off. <laughs> Not if you've seen uh, Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. Yeah. In which case, you know that all all slashes just have, they look after their cardio. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the best jokes in that movie. <laughs> it's not about you've got to do cardio because you've got to appear at one window of the house, then bomb it round to the one at the back. <laughs> it's a good movie. We should review that. Anyway, um,. But I mean, like the the only other stuff I really want to talk about in this movie because like we could talk about this movie constantly, but like it is such a great movie. It's really well put together, very suspenseful, like you say. I think to me, the best part of this movie, as much as I love the early daytime stalking scenes, for me, it's the last sort of twenty minutes or so. It's when Laurie realizes that something's going up at the house across the street, mm. and she then, when the kids are asleep, she decides to go over there. I think from the second she leaves that house and walks across that street is like some of the fucking best horror cinema. Yeah. Because that John Carpenter score really sets the mood. Dean Cundy's cinematography really makes her look vulnerable in the situation. And then the subsequent chase where Michael attacks yeah. her, I just think is fucking excellent. Like it's even watching it again now for like the millionth time. I still kind of get a little bit on edge, even though I know she gets out. Yeah, well, it's, I know it's, she it's a well-done sequence. Like, that's what I mean. This film kind of yeah. emphasises the suspense in ways that I think later slasher movies generally don't. Like, no, and I agree, because I think that even though Halloween birthed an entire genre, and I don't know the exact number, but because Halloween 2 was made four years after mm. this one, there was something ridiculous, like... 30 or maybe even 40 slasher yeah, movies were made. Figured out you could make that time about 10 pounds. So. Yeah. <laughs> as you famously say, 10 pounds and a half sandwich. Yeah, and I mean, this thing as well, so many of them are like blatant rip-offs of Halloween because it's that thing of all of them are like a special day that someone's decided to do some killing on. Like, you know. There's like, yeah, it's like graduation, graduation day, day prom Evil, night, April Fool's Day, April prom Fool's night, thing. which Jamie Lee Curtis was yes. in. <laughs> uh, My Bloody Valentine. I believe Valentine. Um, yeah, Friday like, the Thirteenth. Really yeah, <laughs> it's always. And what's even funnier is apparently with Friday the Thirteenth, that was the thing they settled on first. Was they were like, yeah. we'll just make a movie called Friday the Thirteenth. We'll think of the plot yeah. later. <laughs> It'll just be Halloween two point And that's the crazy thing about that movie. Actually, when you rewatch the first Hall- the first Friday the Thirteenth, 
is how much when you watch it knowing it's just a rip-off of Halloween, you can see it's just, we've done Halloween but inverted. Because the big twist in that movie is it's the mum doing the killing. Yeah. Obviously, Jason Voorhees appears in the later movies as himself, but it's almost like the reverse of the Michael Myers situation, where it's like, you know, he's like the, the young son is the deranged maniac, but in this one is yeah. So there's so much of that movie where it's like, oh my god, this is just fucking Halloween. It's just Halloween, but with blood. Yeah, and uh, like, that's, that was kind of the big distinction between Friday the Thirteenth and Halloween was that Friday the Thirteenth was way gorier yes. than what. Halloween. And I suppose Friday the 13th kind of brings in that element of slasher movie set at a summer camp, which kind of becomes a cliche. Yeah, it was It was. I think it is yeah, definitely the first one of that ilk, yeah. really. And then obviously you have the um, sleepaway camp following. Which is a bona fide classic of American cinema. <laughs> so <it> classic. <laughs> Stalwart classic, right? Um, I mean, it's got some but no, classic I mean, dialogue that we still quote to this day. Oh, 100%. What's up, gangsters? 100%. <laughs> <laughs> and the iconic eat shit and die Ricky eat shit and live, shit and live Bill. <laughs> yeah <laughs> they call them what's the what's the thing that Nancy chef says at the start oh uh, where I come from they call them bald that's right they call them bald <laughs> is where I come from and he follows it by going look at all that fresh chicken don't it just make your mouth water <laughs> yeah oh, well, I mean we should definitely talk about the Sleepaway Camp franchise at some point <laughs> We saw Aiden and Mott versus Sleepaway Camp has to happen. That would be me and my most deranged. <laughs> but no, I think like to put a cap on the original, like we could just talk endlessly about it because but also at the same time, I was saying to this to you off mic, is that it was a little bit almost intimidating talking about Halloween mm. because what can you really say about it that hasn't been said? Because there have been books, documentaries, like entire fucking film yeah. courses are based around this movie. Like it's so like ubiquitous within film as a genre that everyone sort of covered it to death. I don't know what two reprobates like me and you on the internet can really say about it that's going to be anything different. No, well, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's one of those films that, yeah, it's been talked about to death. Um, you know, I, I, it is iconic in its way. Like, people who haven't seen it are probably few and far between at this point. But, you know, yeah, you, you've, definitely, you you've think... definitely seen it referenced or homaged or, you know, whatever in, in other stuff. I think it's specific where you even see it referenced in non-horror as well. Mm. Like there are still so many things these days that reference Halloween, and and I think it really is just like a, a testament to John Carpenter's ability as a director, but also coupled with Dean Cundey's ability as a cinematographer, that they took what could have been real low-budget garbage, and they just really kind of elevated it beyond that. And John Carpenter himself has uh, said before, I believe the exact quote is he calls it true crass exploitation mm. is what he calls halloween and i agree and disagree with that because i think the craft behind it is so much stronger than a lot of the other movies that you find in the genre yeah yeah and even watching it again for like the millionth time i still think it, it just works as a film and the characters are good it's very funny in places it's suspenseful when it needs to be mm. it's just a it's just a good film. Like, it's a very well-made movie. What's and all. What do you think of this movie being the um, trendsetter for what a lot of people would consider to be the more misogynistic elements of the slasher genre? Because to be clear, there is a uh, lot of debate yeah. from the time until this day that whether uh, John Carpenter and Deborah Hill intended this or not, 
the movie basically uh, lionizes Laurie for being pure and virginal implicitly, and um, you know her friends die because they're sluts basically. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a very narrow-minded reading of the movie. Personally, mm. I. I agree with what John Carpenter and Deborah Hill say about it themselves because I think it rings true. I don't think they wrote this movie with that message inherently. No, 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 I don't think so either. What the movie, and I think the movie puts across perfectly because I think the fact that Laurie smokes weed in the car with Annie is very indicative of her as a character. Yeah. I don't think she is entirely like pure because alongside that scene where she talks about, oh, sorry, where she's smoking the weed, she talks about how she fancies another student at school and she like she does think about those kinds of things and she wants those yeah. kind of things. But she's a bit more reserved in it. Um, she wants ultimately, sucky I think fucky, it's true. She wants she wants sucky fucky with Ben Tramer, mm. who is explicitly named in the movie. And <laughs> named I think, unshamed. Named unshamed, and we'll get to Ben Tramer because he's important in a little bit. Um, I think that they, John Carpenter and Deborah Hill's uh, stance on this is the correct stance, where they say that no, 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 like Annie and Laurie, uh, no, not Laurie, so Annie and Linda don't die because they're sluts. Annie and Linda die because they're too invested in boning their boyfriends to actually pay attention to what's going on around yeah. them. Like, Laurie is the only one who is actually being sensible because she's babysitting. Mm. The other two don't really care. And they're kind of more wrapped up in their own shit to then realise there's a psycho killer. Laurie only realises because she's actually, you know, taking responsibility. And I don't think that's, like, in any way written as being misogynistic or, you know, condemning of women who enjoy sex. I... I think it's quite a realistic way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's. I think I broadly agree with that. I think you can't... It's one of those things where I do think on some level you can't just always let people get away with going like, oh, well, I didn't intend it that way. I think it's important to take the intentions in, uh, you know, in mind. I think you, the problem with, the, with Halloween is you can't... You can't divorce it from the numerous things it inspired... Or that ripped it off. No. And in that case, I think that is an unfortunate element of this film that was uh, capitalised upon by pretty much everything that ripped it off, right? It's like, we're going to yes, see no, tits and we're going to see violence. And the way we're going to get away mm. with showing tits is we're going to punish the tit havers for being sluts. Yeah, yeah. It, it tries to have those kind of like moral edge to it. And I, I don't, again, I don't 100% think that this is uh, a complete morality tale. No, I, I don't think this film is. I just think that you know, it, set, it unfortunately set a tone for later films. It did. And I'm, you know, I think you'll completely agree with me in that even in like the slew of movies that this um, inspired and spawned, because I mean, like, you know, Friday the... Only a few of those movies really stuck. That's the thing. Yeah. You know, Friday the 13th stuck. Uh, a Nightmare on Elm Street, which came a lot later, stuck. Uh, Child's Play stuck. Like, all those kind of franchises stuck. But none of those movies are as good as the first Halloween. Mm. Because, you know, this movie was actually made with good intentions and made with people behind it who are genuinely skilled. And that's not to say, like, you know, films like Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street aren't, like, good movies, because, you know, Wes Craven directed yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street, and he's a fantastic director. But I just think none of them are actually as good as this one. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, especially Friday the Thirteenth one. I don't think that's anywhere near as good as no. Things. I mean, most of the Friday the Thirteenth films are pretty bad, to be honest. Yeah, they're all on the same level, though. That's the thing. Yeah. There's not. A, there's there's truly not a bad Friday the Thirteenth movie because they're all kind of on the same well, level. It's not a good one either. They're just. 
uh, wrong. Part four is pretty fucking good. No, none of those movies are good. Like, I've seen all d- of disagree. them. Disagree. Aiden and Mark versus Friday the 13th. I mean, we'll do it at some point. <laughs> I've seen all of them, some of them multiple times, but none of them are good. <laughs> There's not a single Friday the 13th movie where you're like, that was an excellent film. No, but that's not why you watch no. them. Um, we should probably cap off on this one. Um, yeah, so is it stabbingly good, bad? Is it baddingly stab? Is it, um, It's stabbingly no, brilliant. It's it's good. Is it good? Wonderful. Good, but I hate it. Shit, shit, but I like it. It's not good, it's fantastic. It's a brilliant Mike, film. Why are you always really trying to break is, the like, rating system? I don't care, okay? I love Halloween. I love got it. A system, I love Mike. it. Well, I love it. Yeah, I think I'm going to put it under good as well. I think that's just that's just the way it's going to be. It's, I mean, you know, not to like tip the hat too early. It, it's objectively the best Halloween film. <laughs> yeah, I think that's. Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> damning with fame praise. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who's your favourite Nazi no, war okay. criminal? Well, <laughs> um, well, uh, well, let's you know, let's move on because I think we've talked about the first one enough, and people throughout history have talked about the first yeah, one. Yeah, you know, just watch a fucking video essay on YouTube about it. There's probably about yeah. fifty yeah, of them. Yeah. So we'll but move on this to. This is where it gets more interesting. Halloween two, season of Michael yeah. Myers. <laughs> Halloween two, but it's in a hospital. This Halloween time. Um, hospital, yeah, that's what they should have called it. Halloween hospital. Yeah, so Halloween two came out four years after the first one because, from what John Carpenter and Deborah Hill said, they never had it in their heads to make a sequel. Like the ambiguous ending was the ending. And it works for yeah. the first movie. I remember when movies but had endings, be- and that was just it. That was the movie. It yeah. was just one movie. I remember when that happened? Watched it and yeah. it was over. That was good. Arguably, the slasher genre has led to all this new shit. Mm. <laughs> the slasher genre is the reason why we have. Well, I mean, just as just a side note, speaking of sequels and spin-offs and shared universes and all the rest of it, yeah. The other day, I watched um, the fucking thing, uh, Wakanda Forever. Yeah. I just oh, wanted yeah. to see. No, of course it wasn't. But I, I wanted to. <laughs> I wanted to just see something to gourmet for a few hours, and um, yeah, mate, I was wa- watching this and being like, imagine going back like just thirty years and showing someone this movie, just sight and scene, showing them this movie. What the hell would they make of it? They'd just be like, I don't even... They'd have no idea. Because it wouldn't even be the thing of like, oh, there must have been a previous movie to this because they're referencing characters that aren't in this movie. But you'd just be like, what the flying fuck is going on? Because there's just no... (laughs) There's no... Like, it's not even got a structure to it. It's just like, here's another character. Here's a character that's going to be in five more of these fucking movies that we're going to introduce in this movie. And it's just like, oh my God. It's just a soup. It's just a soup of corporate shit. And then they have the balls at the end to be like, dedicated to our, our brother and friend, Chadwick Boseman. It's like, yeah, great. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for dedicating a two and a half hour commercial to, to me after I died of cancer. Which I worked through, by the way, for you. I had cancer and I worked through it for you, Marvel. <laughs> Fucking takes the piss. I'm just going to quickly pause while I go for a whiz. I'm, no, I'm going to keep talking about Black Panther <laughs> Wakanda forever. <laughs> no, no, I'm going to get a drink. Okay, uh, do you want to stop for yeah. a second? Sorry, that was an unhinged run. <laughs> Don't fuck with them hoes. <laughs>
so then yeah halloween 2 rocked around i've been saying four years recently uh in this show but it turns out it came out in 1981 but i suppose it was probably about four years since when it was shot so i'm not wrong so fuck you um so Halloween 2 rocks around, purely made because the A, the first one made so much money, and B, all of these knockoffs came out after the first one was made. Yeah, yeah, like, the, like we say, graduation day, prom night, fucking all of these movies. So the producers of Halloween were like, we should be getting some of this money that all these knockoff movies are making. So Halloween 2 was made, begrudgingly written by John Carpenter. He didn't direct it, even though, don't know about you, you could believe it. Um, yeah, I mean, I would say this movie's pretty... It's definitely trying to emulate the style of the original more than I think a lot. Yeah, of and from do. what I've read, um, apparently John Carpenter directed a fair chunk of this movie. Despite okay, him labelling this movie an abomination. Yeah, and to be honest, my thoughts on Halloween 2 are kind of... I don't know if I'd go as far as call it an abomination... I think it's pretty okay as these kind of things go. Um, I know you're a big champion of Halloween 2 as being like an underrated. It is my favourite Halloween movie, actually. Well, that's. Nah, no, 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 do you know what? I used to think <laughs> this, right? Okay, I used to be like, no, no, because like the, the original is objectively is the best one. It's the best Halloween movie. Like, that's an indisputable yes. fact. It's the best one. However, yes. for my personal tastes and what I like, Halloween 2 is my favourite. Oh, yeah, I forgot, actually. One of your big things is you like... <laughs> you like Tenet, anyway. Um, um, oh, yeah, Halloween 2 is so much better than Tenet. I really think... I actually... No, I, I would that say one. that's a true fact. Um, but, you know, that's not for now. That's for the Christopher yeah. Nolan episode that I'm dreading we do. Um, <laughs> Aiden and Mark versus Christopher Nolan. <laughs> Tenet's better than Halloween 2. What even is that? It's 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 a complete load of bollocks, I mean, which is what this podcast's all about. But no, um, I love Halloween too. I really do. Um, but I think it's... I'm going to put it this way. Halloween 2 has some problems, and it's had a lot of criticism over the years. And I will 100% agree mm. that all of that criticism is completely valid. Doesn't stop me loving the movie. I, I, think, I think the thing for me that kind of... Having watched the first one yesterday and watching uh, the other two today... I think the thing about Halloween 2 that stands out is like it's just kind of boring <laughs> I don't know how to, how to put my finger on it Like, I think it tries to do what the first movie does where there's kind of long stretches of not a lot happening but it's kind of building up the tension and building up and building up but this movie just doesn't have that, that deftness of the original where like like John Carpenter's a master at this stuff and who was it you said directed this movie? Uh, so this is Rick Rosenthal um, who? Yeah, not a massive name. Like, on you know, obviously it's so on brand for me. But one of the things that I mostly know him from is uh, he did a couple of episodes of Buffy. Um, right, sure. He also did Halloween Resurrection, that we'll come to later. Um, Unfortunately, yes, we will. Yeah, um, and that, that's without going too far into it. It baffles me that the guy that did Halloween Resurrection did this one. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, this movie's better than Halloween Resurrection. I'll give it that. I, I think d- the other thing for me with this film is um, this is the start of this franchise becoming well, becoming a franchise but becoming and just I something agree. I agree. utterly kind of pointless because this is the movie where they drop the bomb that 
And John Carpenter admits that this idea came to him at two in the morning when he was working his way through a six-pack of beer. Um, and I think it shows that Michael oh, yeah, Myers no, 100%, 100%. is unaccountably um, Laurie Strode's older brother. Yeah. Um, and Laurie went into, I, I guess after everything kicked off, Laurie went into the um, the foster program, I suppose. Uh, and Yep, uh, so her parents died. She, they died in a car crash, I believe, is what they said. Her adopted parents died in a car crash. Well, the, the Myers the parents Myers's, died, and then she went okay. into adoptive care, yeah. Because you never see her adopted. You see her adopted mother for like a second in this movie, right? Yeah, and again, like, again, like, don't get me wrong. This movie has some fucking problems. It really does. Like, yeah, I'm not going to tell you I've, this is I, an amazing I, movie. I can never keep straight in my head when I've not seen this movie for a while. It's like, because I always forget that, that. So there's a bit. Okay, so we should we should say Laurie ends up in a hospital bed after the events of the first movie. She does. Um, and that's where she stays for most of this movie. Now, while yeah. she's dipping in and out of consciousness. She has flashbacks that, you know, start to hint at this familial connection, right? So there's a flashback where presumably her adopted mother is like, I'm not your real mum, bitch. Yeah. Bitch, but that's the, <laughs> that's so the tone. Weird. It's so weird. And it's like, the thing is, if it was set up in the first movie that she was like, oh yeah, I'm adopted, I don't really get on with my parents, like, it would kind of make sense. But this movie just throws out there like, oh, her adopted mother seems a bit abusive. And it's like, all right. We ever gonna get back to that or no? What? Because it's a very lazy implemented twist, and I I agree. I think it. She's in the hospital for the entirety of this movie. There are ways that her familial connections could have come up that aren't a weird coma dream that goes nowhere. Like they could have literally just had someone look at her, you know, medical records and be like, "Oh, she changed her name." Was okay. just just something, just something could have come up, and they could have been like, "Oh, you know, it's, that's not her." They're not her real parents or whatever. Like, just throw something out there, you know? Like, there's a because re- there's even a bit in the movie where some bitch is like, yeah, and I think that we've been trying just... to call your parents, we just can't get a hold of them. And it's not explained. Yeah, that's also <laughs> it's, weird. It's not I, 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 I haven't seen this for a while. I was like, oh, Michael Myers must have killed them, but it's like, nope. Just they're just not around. They just don't know where they are. No, I think like to me, if I have to justify my reasons for liking this movie, uh, it's one the atmosphere. I think even though it is the yeah, most like deserted hospital that there. has ever existed in anything ever, and they're all busy fucking. Uh, yeah, but like, yeah, they they will get to that. Um, but I think you have to also think like Haddonfield is like a little sort of midwestern town, so I suppose the hospital wouldn't be like rammed with people. And also, I don't know if you've ever been in a hospital overnight. Like they're yeah, really yeah. generally not that busy, depending. Like you know, I've been in hospitals but, overnight before, and like they are eerily I would suggest quiet, the hospital in a very town dark like at night as well. Like they're very creepy. Mere places. hours ago, might be a little busier than it is currently. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe, maybe the morgue not, isn't located. You think there might know. be some activity um, going on? <laughs> I'm I'm here for the creepy empty hospital man. Like oh no, it it works. It works. It's one of those things. That it wouldn't it wouldn't bother me. It works. In yeah. a movie I enjoyed more, I suppose. This is one of those things where, you know, when you're not super engaged by a movie, you start picking holes, I suppose. And like, this movie has a lot of holes. It, it does. And again, I'm not going to pretend like it doesn't. But I just, I really, really love this one. And I, I especially like um, the opening scenes where... Despite the continuity error, because in the first movie we didn't mention it when we talked about it, but even though people yes. have seen it, so Michael gets shot off the balcony in the first movie by Loomis. But in the first movie, he gets shot yeah. off the balcony and lands in the back garden. In this one, he lands in the front garden. 
never addressed. Yeah, <laughs> they never mention I mean... it. <laughs> Okay, so the thing with this, okay, so we should say that just to summarize the plot of this movie, such as it is. So we've already mentioned Laurie Strode is, you know, in a hospital bed. Basically, everyone's fussing around her, and the the main thing of the movie is Michael Myers is coming to get her. Um, he turns up at the hospital, kills a bunch of people, yeah. and then eventually attempts to kill her. Meanwhile, Doctor Loomis is just kind of. Chuffing, chuffing about with the cops. Just talks now, people. there's a bit early on in this movie where the sheriff or the deputy sheriff, whoever it is, is like, oh, I'm, I'm right at the point where I'm about to stop taking orders from you, Dr. Loomis. And I'm like, my man, you should have done that about five minutes into the first movie. This man is a dangerous lunatic running around with a piece, <laughs> by the way, which he cannot wait to flash the cops. He's always like, I'm, he's like, I've got this loaded gun. Oh, I intend to use it, it on a citizen in Panfield tonight. And the cops are like, okay. Can we also just appreciate that, like, this is the start of Crazy Lewis. Yes. Like, he's pretty crazy in the first movie. He is unhinged in this Yeah. Movie. This he is kind is of the thing with this film. Is like, it probably could have done with not being set minutes after the first one. See, that's what I like about it, personally, because the original script was supposed to take place a few years mm. later where Laurie is living in a high-rise apartment building and Michael would track her down. And personally, I don't think that would be anywhere near as good. I like... No, but I think it suffers from that thing where, like, Loomis is basically a different character in this movie to what he is in well, the Well, he is one. and he isn't. Like, he's essentially, in this movie, he's more unhinged because he's been completely justified in his beliefs that Michael is an unstoppable force of evil because he just shot, yeah. as he repeatedly states, I shot him six times! Like, he keeps saying yes. That. <laughs> and I don't know about you, if your life's work that you were convinced was pure evil, you shot it six times, I think you'd, you'd be at liberty to go a bit crazy. Personally. Yeah, I mean, this is it's just one of those things in this film which requires a big stretch of logic. Is like, why are the cops even bothering with Loomis at this point? Like, <laughs> in the first one, you can put it down to like, well, it's that one individual guy who, for whatever reason, is cutting him some slack. But in this one, he goes through several cops, all of whom are like, "You're a crazy old man, get out of here!" And he's like, "No," and they're like, "Okay." Also, the, the- I guess there's nothing that we, the police, can do about a crazy old man who wants to be here. There's nothing we can do and about again, that. It's a fault of the writing that the the, sh- the deputy sheriff that gives him the time of day disappears from the movie by the third act. Like he's just not in the movie. Like he yeah, just, he just yeah. Like it, it suddenly shifts. again. This is something that they could have done to get to eke more tension out. It's like yeah. What if the cops weren't just like yeah? Let's just let Loomis do whatever he wants. What if they did bang him up in a cell for the night? And the yeah, movie does. Maybe Michael Myers comes for him. Comes for the, him. Well, the movie the sort prison. of puts that in place in the third act when Loomis is ordered back to Smith's Grove by like the governors, and there's like a marshal. Yeah, for for about five minutes, <laughs> and then he's like, "Right, I'm commandeering this all." Yeah, but that's one of the best scenes of the movie. <laughs> I mean, it's funny, but it's also <laughs> just like, I think that's the problem with this movie is I just don't think there's any like suspense to it really because. First of all, it's just doing the exact same thing the first movie did, where it's like, if Loomis can get to um, Laurie in time, maybe he can save her because he knows what's going on. And it's just that exact same thing. And I struggle to believe that Loomis would just leave Laurie there. Like, if he's this obsessive guy... Like, maybe that's what you could have done with the writing, is like, he wants to tag along with the cops, but they're like, no, because you're not a cop. You're just a weird old man with a gun <laughs> that we should frankly be more concerned about. Sorry, this was really taking me out of the movie. The amount of times he's like, I've got a fucking gun. 
and I intend to use it. Well, that happens tonight. in the first fact, movie, I, though. That happens in the first movie. In fact, movie. I have used it. Tonight. Literally, there's a bit in the first movie yeah. where he pulls his gun out and then gets his like gun license out to so the cops. Like, don't worry, I'm okay to have this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it can't, again, you can kind of get away with it in the first movie because it's mostly him and the the the, the deputy. So it's like you can you can excuse it as it's just one man who is letting Loomis run riot, right? But it's the fact that the entire Haddonfield police force is like, yeah, no, it seems okay. I mean, he's a doctor. <laughs> so it's all right. Yeah, I sure, love this whatever. movie on the level that, like, it's... But, but at the same time, right, at the same time, they're completely accepting of him just wandering into whatever meeting he wants to be in or whatever, breaking into whatever building he wants to be in. With a loaded <laughs> firearm, which he has discharged tonight by his own admission six times, not only are they okay with that, they, for some reason, every scene with the cops and Loomis is them being like, you're a crazy old man. And then Loomis being like, yes. And then being like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Checks out. Want to mess about with this dead body? Because he's in the he morgue. Is. He orders that When they're getting dental records. He orders that yes. to happen. Like, that Okay, so what say? So early in the movie. Early in the movie. <laughs> it's one of the best scenes. It's car- one of the best scenes. <laughs> there is a big car crash. Uh, because and Loomis is like pursuing this guy that they think might be Michael from behind. Uh, there's a big car crash and he goes up in a big ball of flame and he's dead. And there is some, you know, they're trying to make sure because he's the charred, charred remains, right? Um, they're trying to determine whether it really is Michael Myers or not. So they have to resort to the the dental records, <laughs> um, which, as he's quite rightly point out, for some reason Loomis orders this. <laughs> he does, even though that is standard procedure in a case where someone can't be identified by the face they, they will go for the dental records or other, other means but for some reason Loomis is the one who has to say right get this sorted I just I mean this movie just it's it's a dumb it's film. very dumb it's very dumb and I'm not gonna pretend like it isn't but I think because when you look at all the movies that Halloween 2 in well Halloween inspired the the fact that Halloween 2 they kind of went we've got a meet these movies and do them better and i think i genuinely think halloween 2 is better than most of the fucking movies that it inspired i think it's a much better yeah well constructed uh like i just think it's a great slasher movie i think that's ultimately what i love about it it's a great slasher movie and it really appeals to a lot of my own sort of sensibilities i like how cruel michael is in this movie like the death scenes in this movie Mm. are a massive step above what the first movie is yeah, they're a lot more, like, gratuitous. And just, like, genuinely cruel, I think. Like, the way mm. Michael kills people in this movie, it's just horrible. Like, he unleashes some horrible deaths on these people. Yeah. Like, there's... I, I, think, I, I think I personally prefer the way the kills are handled in the first movie. I like the more, like, implied violence. This one is kind of veering more towards the sort of... It's much more lurid, gratuitous I'd say, kind yeah. of yeah, lurid. I mean, they're still good. Still, like, I think what I do think is kind of scary about Michael Myers in this and the first one is like the kills are less set PC and they're more kind of up close. But and yeah, personal. it's sort of like a more intimate quality to the murders. I think. yeah, it drowns a woman in a hot tub. At one yeah, point. which and I love the little detail in that scene where like the water is like scalding hot, it's burning her face off, but he he will have his hand in the water and it doesn't affect him. Yeah, like stuff like that, him. I think is really good. Um, I mean, we should talk about the hospital staff. <laughs> the horny, horny hospital staff. What is going on at this hospital? <laughs> I mean, 
first of all, one of the paramedics is trying to bone Jamie Lee Curtis. While she's like almost catatonic in a bed, may I point out. Yeah, and he's like, every time she like vaguely like, comes back to consciousness, he's like cracking onto her straight away. Which starts bang out of her. <laughs> then his, his mate is, I don't know what's oh, going Bud. on. He's Bud is an icon. Nurses. We love Bud. Bud. Yeah. He's like shagging one of the nurses. But he's also just kind of a general dick, I guess, is the vibe with him. But his version of Amazing Grace is iconic, Aiden. We have to... Uh, uh, yes, well, give us, give us a quick rendition. It's a Amazing Grace, come sit on my face. Don't make me cry. <laughs> I need your pie. It's iconic. <laughs> I like that that's not even really to the tune of <laughs> It's <Amazing> not, is <laughs> it? <laughs> he's just kind of riffing. <laughs> And forgive me if I'm wrong, the nurse that he's shagging, her name isn't Grace, so it's not... It doesn't no, even, no, 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 no. Doesn't, doesn't even work. No. He's just singing. No, no, he, he just, he's just, he's just, just horny, back. mate, like, like everyone else in this movie is. Um, but we also, like, to also talk about the hospital staff, when Laurie is first brought in, Dr. Mixter is her doctor, who they very openly go, he's been to the country club, I think he's drunk, and he's very visibly drunk when he's, like, giving yes. Laurie, like, a blood test. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because no one in Haddonfield knows how to do their job. No, all, and and again, like I think one of the things that I really like about Halloween too is like the again it has that kind of wicked sense of humor that the first one does, but I think it's cranked up a little bit here. I think John Carpenter doesn't write comedic stuff enough, personally. Um, mm. But you've also then got like the more sinister elements, like you've got the little kid that's brought to the hospital because he's got a razor blade in his mouth. Like that's yes. a scene in this movie that's quite upsetting. Because that kid literally full on has a razor blade embedded in his gums. Like, it's pretty graphic when you see it. Um, and then, yeah, you have Michael stalking the hospital and stuff. And I don't know, like, this. I, it's hard to, like, really put into words why I like this one as much as I do, but, like, it just. It really quite does it for me. I think it's. I think it's also down to Michael in this movie. I think Michael is actually scarier in this movie than he is in the first one. He feels like more of like an mm. omnipresent force in this one, whereas like in the first one he's kind of like relegated to the background. He sort of slowly seeps in. In this one, he just is just evil personified. Like he fucking walks through a glass door at one point, <laughs> like, and it's great. Yeah, that that seems it's pretty great. <laughs> and I also think the final chase scene in this movie is just as, if maybe not slightly better than the chase scene in the first movie. Where yeah. you've got Laurie, like, almost, like, catatonic, running through the hospital, injured, and Michael's just very slowly pursuing her. And that's something that gets talked about a lot when people talk about this movie, is they talk about the Michael Myers performance, because Michael was played by a different actor in this movie, played by Dick Warlock, um, who was in Halloween 3, which we're also going to talk about soon. Dick, Dick Warlock. Warlock. Um, and that's why Michael looks different in this movie, because the, the mask fit his face differently, and it's the same mask as the first movie, only more aged and decayed, which makes it look scarier, in my opinion. And they talk mm. about how his performance in this movie is quite like robotic, and he moves very slowly, and I, I, I can see why that's a problem. But also, he did get shot six times and was stabbed in the first movie. I don't really see him running around that much. Like, yes, he is. See, that's evil, a, that's but... that's another issue with this movie for me. It's like we don't know. There's no clear kind of indication of like what Michael Myers can and can't survive, and this becomes an issue even more so in later films, because obviously in this movie they kind of like they do the Terminator thing where like he gets shot a bunch of times, falls down, and gets up again. Now. The, the reason I use Terminator there is it's kind of an apt comparison, I think, because 
you have a somewhat of an understanding in those movies of what the Terminator can withstand and what it can't. Like, you know that you can kind of shoot it to fuckery and it'll probably get back up at some point. And, like, most, like, smaller explosives and things like that can slow it down and, you know. But, like, the things that could destroy a particularly tough robot could destroy the Terminator. It just takes some doing. Now, the problem with Michael Myers is you never actually know what the limits of his abilities are, which could be scary in some ways, but it's that thing of, in this film, you know, where he supposedly dies at the end, yet again, Mm -hmm. I am like... Am I supposed to take this? That like just taking the film on its own, not thinking about like I know there are five thousand sequels after this. Am I supposed to think Michael Myers is dead at the end of this film because he's on fire and then he explodes, which to me is like you're probably dead, right? Yeah, and I think the sequel's definitely cheap in that. But I think the ending of this movie, um, we should probably just elaborate for the people. So Michael kills all of the hospital staff, basically yes. all of them. Uh, all three of and them. so Laurie narrowly escapes getting killed by him Loomis gets her at the very end and shoots Michael but ultimately he runs out of bullets because obviously shooting him six times didn't work and apparently shooting him 12 times also doesn't work so Michael chases them down into an operating theatre and Laurie cowers in the corner Loomis gives her a gun Loomis gets stabbed by Michael falls down to the floor Michael is advancing on Laurie she says Michael and he sort of stops for a second and goes, no, nah, still going to kill you. Goes towards her again. She then, and again, this is the biggest leap of logic in this movie for me. <laughs> it's where she manages to basically shoot him in both eyes. Yes. Bit of a leap, but whatever, we'll go with it. Like, you know, what do we know? Laurie Strode may have been like a gun-toting redneck. She might have gone to the shooting range at least twice a week. We don't know that. Well, maybe her adopted parents were, yeah, would be Yeah, we, we don't know. It's America, know. it's possible. Um, yeah. Or at the very least, she shoots him around the eye area, which yes. is fine. We can go with that. Um, and so he gets like blood trickling through his eyes, and he can't see. So he starts like waving wildly. Sorry, I've just thought of something as well. The thing that makes the whole adopted Laurie thing even stranger is like we never really hear of her parents in the first one, or really in this one, apart from to be like the flashback where her mum's like, "I'm not your real mum, bitch," like. Okay, you could have just had it be that. I mean, she's supposed to be like eighteen, right? Like you could have just had it be, she was with a foster family that she's not particularly close to, and like maybe that's part of the tension. It's like, well, who are we even supposed to call about this woman? Like, she's eighteen, but she lives on her own. Like that could have been part of the mystery, of, and then it would have made if you if you kind of set that up, it could have made more sense that like, oh, actually, she's related to. But also, Aiden, you are forgetting one thing. John Carpenter was drunk the entire time he wrote this movie. True. <laughs> I'm just saying somebody else could have. I think, though, film. to give uh, Carpenter's right. Well, I'll quickly cap off the ending before I go to this point. But yeah, so like Michael is yes. blinded and they fill the operating theatre with uh, oxygen and ether. And Laurie gets out at the last minute. Loomis strikes a lighter, blows the operating theatre to shit. Seemingly, Loomis is dead. You'd assume so. Definitely dead. Yes. The next, the sequel will definitely get rid of that. But um, Loomis is. He just walks. He it just off. walks it off, uh, and then uh, we see the great shot, uh, which is a throwback to uh, the thing from another planet, where Michael walks out of the blaze completely covered in flames, and then falls down and burns to death, essentially. Uh, notably, wearing uh, if you're watching the HD version of this, a completely different outfit. Well, he's wearing a full burn suit. But you know what else is even yes. funnier? 
and as you can see yeah. it in the HD version, he's still holding the scalpel, <laughs> which yeah, is a yeah. great little detail, I think. Uh, it's obviously one of those things that they never thought anyone would be able to see clear enough. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, you, you can re- you can really see that he's wearing like one of those full like puffer jacket burn suit things. <laughs> but again, like it's warts and all, and I love it. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah. yeah, so Michael is like seemingly dead at uh, the climax of this movie, and that was supposed to be the intention. That was they were like, "This is it. This or is, is he?" No, no, that was the intention. That was fully the intention. Or is he fully the intention? Um, or but is he? I can't remember what I'm supposed to go back to now. We, I got too into the final scene. I can't remember either. But the, oh, we were talking about the, the, the limits of Michael Myers' powers are never clearly defined. Like We never really know what could kill him. And this is a question that dogs the franchise to this day. Because, mm. not meaning to get to Halloween ends too early, because we'll get there and it'll be a slog. <laughs> I don't know why putting him into the the crusher at the end is supposed to work better than simply blowing him up. <laughs> like... I don't I don't understand why that's the case. It was one of the many issues I had with this film, with that film rather, was I don't understand why all these other methods haven't worked, <laughs> but this one for some reason does. Money. And that's kind of an issue you run into time and time again with these Halloween movies. Yeah, exactly. It's like, why does setting him on fire work but shooting him six times doesn't? And it's not like I need a big lore explanation for that. I just need something. I just need some kind of like, he can't be killed by the weapons of man. That would do. <laughs> that would be fine, actually. It's because you've acknowledged it and you've gone, you know, you need to resort to the elements. I've always kind of just him. understood it as like, you need to fully destroy the body, as it were. Like, a couple of slugs won't put him down, but like... Yeah, but he's been blown up multiple well, times. We're just still talking point. about Halloween 2, though. Like, we're still talking about that one. Uh, yeah, all right, but I'm widening it out as a, as a general issue that starts... Oh, no, it's movie. an issue. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's a massive issue. Yeah. Like, they don't know Michael, like, God bless you for sitting through all this, but, like, we don't know what you are. We just don't, so we just... Yeah, you freak. We simply don't know. You freak-ass bitch, <laughs> Michael, you freak. But, um, yeah, but also, like, don't they take his head off in one of these they, movies? Or yeah, but then they soon retcon that, but we'll get to that one. <laughs> yeah, fuck, it's for movies are fucking That's stupid. That's so what they, are they are, This is why I wanted to do Aiden and Mark versus Halloween, because, like, this is a fucking dumbass franchise. Like, it's so fucking dumb. But going back to Halloween 2... This isn't even... The, Halloween 2 isn't even the dumbest one. No, it's one. not, but... It... It's not even the dumbest one on this episode. <laughs> which is saying something. We'll get to a season of the bitch in a minute. <laughs> but no, like, yeah... I... Good lord, good lord. Yeah, I mean... This, right, so my, I guess my fundamental thing with this movie is, like... I don't think it has the tension that the first one has to kind of help it get away with some of the elements that are slightly stupid. I don't think it needs to exist, no, is the it, one it thing. No, it doesn't, no, like, you're right. I, I think if you were going to do Halloween sequels, I think it should be more along the lines of what they do with Scream, where it's like, you know, it's the same killer, but it's a different person every time. Like, no, I think... If they'd gone like, it's the Boogeyman, but it's not always Michael Myers, I think that would have been a better way I to I think go. what I personally like about this movie a lot, even though John Carpenter's writing is clunky at best in this one, I think mm. the idea to set it just after the original is pretty inspired for the time, because like, I can't think of many other movies that actually start 
the second that the first one ends really like that's that's to this day that's quite uncommon with sequels and the only yeah, recent because it's usually bad it's usually a bad it choice. is but also like the only recent example i can think of and it's not exactly a great example but halloween kills is the same in that sense that it uh, the, the the last jedi did this it also. did and but the thing is that's the best one of that trilogy but we won't get into that um yeah, but it's also not an incredible sequel to the movie that came before. No, but it's and also I think a lot. Of, I think a lot of that movie's issues are because they were forced to do a movie that's like seconds after the last. True, movie. but also like Whereas what they probably wanted to do was you know maybe have some time. Yeah, but like most of the Star Wars movies are guff anyway. But yeah, we won't get into that. Um, There's more good Star Wars movies than there are. That's movies. just factually it's inaccurate. Just but um, that's just. I mean, there's three good Star Wars And there's Wars three movies. good Halloween movies, What have you actually? got, bitch? What have you got, bitch? <laughs> there's three good Halloween got movies, actually. <laughs> got nothing, my friend. <laughs> no, nah, I mean, true. like, Halloween 2 is one of those things that, like, there's not a whole lot really to go into because, like, the plot is very bare bones. It's just like, yeah, Laurie goes to hospital. Michael follows her. Loomis is like, shit, I've got to start Michael. And there's some weird narrative choices along the way, but what I actually quite like about the writing of this movie is, like I was saying, like, because it does take place just after the events of the first one, I think what John Carpenter did quite well was to encapsulate what happens surrounding the murders after the first movie. Like, you know, you see the news yeah. coverage of it, you see, like, little pockets of the townspeople reacting to it, you see, you know, like, the, the townsfolk trashing the Myers house and stuff. Like, I think he really went in an interesting direction with it. The writing doesn't quite land but i think it's an interesting film overall but luckily they remade the film many years <laughs> later as halloween kills but so, yeah no um, this movie does it for me because i just think it's it's a really interesting extension of the first movie i think michael is actually this is the scariest michael's ever been like he is a real fucking force of evil in this movie like he's scary in the first one but he's way fucking scarier in this one i think this is also the movie that starts the trend of slasher sequels being like it's the same movie, but in this location. True. True. Uh, but I also have a, a weird inbuilt love for hospital set slasher movies. They're very few and far between, but it's a genre that I'm quite fond of. Yeah, most of them are Halloween sequels. <laughs> trope of the franchise at this point no i mean i you know i think ultimately as well what i do really like about this movie is the the fact that it looked at all the things that halloween inspired and went john we can do this as well and it encapsulates a lot of those ideas like you know the hospital staff feel like slasher archetype characters especially bud and uh, the nurse who i can't remember her name but she's played by pamela susan shoop who gets her baps out and then gets drowned like, I love that those characters are so horny for one another that they'll happily go and fuck in a hydrotherapy pool whilst on shift. <laughs> like... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's just, that's mental. Like, you wouldn't do that. <laughs> you just wouldn't do to that. To be fair, she said she'll go back and check on the kids. So, oh, I guess if the kids <laughs> are okay, I can, you know, you, you can sling it up, babe, but only if the kids are okay, though. <laughs> Yeah, it's Bud. He does what he, you know. You can't say no to Bud. He's just so charming. I mean, he also gets. I mean, Bud gets all the best dialogue in the movie because prior to his rendition of Amazing Grace, he gets one of the best exchanges in the movie, where um, he swears at one of the other hospital staff, and she's like, "God damn it, Bud! You always have to curse so much. Every other word is God shit or damn." And he just goes, "I'm sorry. I guess I just fuck up all the time." <laughs> 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 Which is peak John yeah. Carpenter dialogue, if you ask me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, Bud was probably the most enjoyable character. And I think the other issue with this movie is that the, the character you're supposed to care about is like in a coma for most She of is. I spoke to As... my friend about this when we were watching it, and I'm glad you brought this up mm. because 
that's a very common criticism of this movie is that Laurie's kind of incapacitated for most of the movie, but logically that makes sense because she's yes. just survived this ordeal. And even though this is something that I didn't really get into in the first movie when we talked about it, but like there are two very different cuts of Halloween and Halloween 2 that exist. And there's a lot of scenes that were excised from Halloween 2. Like, John Carpenter wrote a lot more for this movie than what we eventually see. But um, we have the scene in the movie where Laurie reacts badly to the medication. And that comes as a result of a deleted scene where, because we know that Dr. Mixter is drunk, uh, he administers her a sedative and then basically forgets he's done that and says, give her another sedative. So they almost like OD Laurie, essentially. But that's okay, that, that makes more sense because then at the end when she's like running away from Malcolm she's like crawling across the floor. Like, and there was a part of me that was like, "Why is this happening?" Again? Yeah, she's like, "Can she not just?" But it makes more sense of like, yeah, that's that's supposed to follow on from a scene where she's clearly been like double down. Yeah, and it also explains as well. Yeah. There's a there's a missing scene that's in the TV cut, and the TV cut fucking sucks. It's a, it's a terrible version of the movie. Um, but you know how like the hospital is particularly dark at one point. Yes. You're sort of led to believe, oh, I guess after uh, after a certain time they turn the lights off. No, no, Michael cuts the power to the hospital. Yeah, and that's in a deleted scene. Like, yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, this movie's a fucking mess, but I love it. I love it so much. I think it's one of the best slasher movies. I think it's just a great little movie. I think it's got really good atmosphere. The, the violence is great. Uh, Michael's great in this movie. I think Jamie Lee Curtis gives a pretty good performance, even though she's quite dismissive of this one. Yeah, I think it's it's okay. I think it's kind of, for me as a viewer, it's at that point where, yeah, enjoying the first one for what it is, and then this this is just this classic thing that horror franchises do, where in trying to make a sequel to the original, they just kind of completely demystify it, and I think horror needs that element of kind of mystique maybe I suppose like especially when you're talking about a character like Michael Myers where I think the more they try and explain him the less interesting I 100% agree Uh, that's definitely something that as we talk about more of the sequels becomes a problem Mm. because because this is also the movie that introduces the cult bullshit because he's writing Sam Hain on the wall yeah this is the one scene of the movie that I fucking hate I really hate this scene because Mm. it doesn't actually make any sense in terms of the plot where they go to the school where Michael's apparently broken into and written Sam Hain and some people have tried to theorise the reason is because um, when Michael was first shot he retreated to places that he knew so maybe the school, and I'm like, no 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 just John Carpenter didn't know what the fuck he was writing because he was pissed that's what that is like that's all that is. Yeah, and then that scene is later used as a justification for some uh, some answers. Yeah and it's yes I think some of the writing in this movie is fucking guff but I think some of it goes in interesting directions and it doesn't quite capitalise on those ideas enough where do you stand on Laurie Strode being Michael Myers' long lost sister it's one of those things where I feel like if you cut that out of this movie it wouldn't make a blind bit of difference no no I agree however I actually uh, Oh, However, it comes a spicy take. It's not much of a spicy take, but we'll get into this in the, the, the second part of when we talk about these movies. Is that that feeds the narrative for the next like five or like five or six movies? Yeah, which are five or six movies that should. Yeah, exist, yeah, so. and like that feeds that narrative. <laughs> um, but I think in some ways it helps Michael's character in a sense when it comes to Halloween Four 
because in that one he's going after his niece. So I was like, okay, so you're at least like acknowledging that twist, but giving us something new with it, which is fine. Um, it's then when they deviate from that that it gets fucking weird and stupid. I think. Um, yeah, I mean, I I just think it's just a bad twist. Like it's it doesn't really Carpenter's add anything. It's just a bad of... twist. Um, it doesn't really add anything. Yeah. But I think the only thing it really sort of latches onto is the whole idea of why he killed his sister and why he goes after Laurie and also in the beginning of Halloween too. Like the you see the random girl that he kills at the beginning, and she has a bit of a resemblance to Laurie. Yeah, but then it also calls into question, like, well, why does he just randomly murder, like, seven people just to get to Laurie? Like, if the whole thing was just about, well, I've got to take out my sisters. Well, they're fine. in his way. That's the thing. The hospital staff are in his way. <laughs> but most of them aren't. Most of them aren't, are the thing. Like, in the first one, he just kills a bunch of people for no good well, reason. Well, he kills, he, he kills Annie and Linda to get to Laurie, I suppose. Like, but also, like, Laurie really. and Annie. He, only in the, most, only, only in the most roundabout sense possible. <laughs> He could have just wandered into the house that Laurie was in and just killed her if he wanted to. But instead, he's cruising around the village, killing her mates. I mean, we're putting more thought into this than what John Carpenter ever did, so... <laughs> hmm. Well, this is kind of the point, though, is that I think the more they, they try and, you know, put motive on Michael Myers, the, the less compelling of a villain he becomes, because the more you just kind of like, well, if that's what he's after, why is he doing all And again, this? without going too far ahead when we get to the first of the David Gordon Green movies, that yeah. was the first one at least, that's kind of where they, I think they hit the the, the sweet point because... Yeah. That is the one thing they got right. Yeah, the, yeah which we will talk about. Which we like, will talk about. Just disregarding the whole... Because you're right, it does become the plot line for the rest of the franchise or the ones that include um, Laurie Strayed anyway. Because in the Rob Zombie ones as well, like they really make a meal out of Michael Myers is her brother. But also, though, in the Rob Zombie ones, that is, like, the complete focal point of the character. And I think I'm yeah. more forgiving it's, of it in bad. those movies because, like, he hammers it home. It's like, this is what it's about. He wants to to get his sister. That's what those films are about. And, we'll, obviously, we're going to talk about the Rob Zombie ones. I'm far more forgiving of those ones than a lot of people are. But, I, mm. I, but, <laughs> but you know, without, like, you know, going too far into it because we'll talk about it, I genuinely think the Rob Zombie version of Michael Myers is a slightly more well-formed character as a result. <laughs> uh, I think that's an interesting thing to say. Well, and, at least, um, like, Rob we'll Zombie just goes, when, this yeah. is him, this is what he's doing, there we go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's... I mean, we'll get to this when we talk about the Rob Zombie movies. Like, I don't think his version of Michael Myers is that interesting. Like, there's no. elements that I like of what he did with it. I mean, this is kind of my issue with Rob Zombie in general. It's like, there's a lot of what he brings to the films that I enjoy, but I kind of wish he'd either just commit to making, like, actual trash, or, you know, when he does kind of have illusions to, like, well, I want to do something a bit more... Um, I mean, intellectual is maybe not the right word, but, you know, something with a bit more to say, a bit more purpose, like... I wish he'd just lean into that or into the trash. You know what I'm saying? Like, also, I don't want any more killer clown films from Rob Zombie. No, no, no. He, yeah. Well, let's. let's If I see another clown, if I see another clown, stick a pin in that. Uh, If I see another fucking clown in one of his movies, I'm gonna hunt him (laughs) down personally. I've 
had it with the clowns. Right, I'm gonna just surmise Halloween too, so we can move on. But like, yeah, I um, it's, it's no, it's, it's not. Uh, but uh, whatever. But that, that's my rating. No. Shit. I I don't think it is. I think it's uh, after the first one. I think it's the strongest one of the series. I think it's genuinely one of the best slasher movies ever made. I love its grim atmosphere. I like the deserted hospital setting. I actually think the the nurse and doctor characters are actually kind of fun. Um, I think Michael is great in this one. I like this one. I think it's a really good cap off to the first movie. I really think it is. Like it's, it doesn't need to exist, it but good? it's a nice extension. To are you the giving first it one. good? Are you giving it good? If I hate it, are you giving it shit? Are you giving it shit? I'm giving it. It's it? stalkingly good. Okay, I'm giving it shit because <laughs> it's. I've seen it like three times now, and I don't. I can't. Again. No, I I love it. I really do. I really really. It's do. not as bad as some people make out, but it's not good. It's probably one of the better Halloween. It's the sequels. best one after the original, I think. Like one hundred percent. Well, that is saying very little. Yeah, but no, I'm I I make no bones. I'm a I'm a big stan of Halloween too. I really am. I really really like this movie. Well, anyway, let's move on to the most relevant of the Halloween films. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Halloween 3, The Season of the Witch, which I'm here to tell you, Mark, came out in 1982. The, the year after Halloween 2 did, So yeah. the year after Halloween Because obviously 2. Halloween 2 made um, a buttload of money, because of course it did. Now this film was directed by Tommy Lee Wallace. It was produced by Deborah Hill and John Carpenter. And shot by Dean Cundy. Now, this movie is not really in any way a Halloween movie. No. That's something that we just need to kind of get out of there straight away. Michael Myers does not appear in this film. Well, no, he does appear in this film. movie. Well, he well, you know, he appears like on the television. Yeah, because in this movie, movie Halloween, Halloween is canonically a fictional a movie piece that of exists. <laughs> Which let's not even think no. about that. Um, <laughs> we just simply haven't got I the think time. they just had the rights and thought, fuck it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess it's supposed to be like a callback to the first one where they're watching the thing from another world. Yeah, it's it's a whole like cyclical yeah, thing. Yeah. Shit. It's dumb. It should be stopped. <laughs> <laughs> so what you're saying but is John Mark, Carpenter he... is responsible for the MCU? Is that what you're saying? I'm saying that we can't, you know, the rebellion against the MCU. We're going to have to execute some people that we'd rather not. <laughs> Job, mate. I love you. Unfortunately, but... it might be John Carpenter. <laughs> Yeah, I'll... no. So yeah, take us through the plot of Halloween. <laughs> I don't 3. think I can. Um, Season of the Bitch. right. So uh, just a little bit of background. So Halloween three was made off the back of the success of Halloween two, and John Carpenter and Deborah Hill just did not want to make another Michael Myers movie. That was just they didn't want to do it. They didn't even want to fucking do Halloween two, and it does show. Even though I love that movie. Um, so they were like, let's take Halloween in an anthology direction. Let's just do something completely different. We'll release movie uh, each year. Well, I think that was always John Carpenter's intention from what I understand. Well, like they, I don't think they wanted Halloween 2 to be a Michael No, Myers but they were kind of forced into doing it as a Michael Myers movie. Yeah. So they went, fuck it, we'll cap that, so, that story off and then we'll do something else. So they did do something else. And so Halloween 3 was born. And the idea was that each subsequent Halloween movie would be a different horror story, but with Halloween as like the, the basic tying connective tissue, essentially. So they got Nigel Neal in, who I know you know who Nigel Neal is, obviously. 
Um, yes. But for people who don't, Nigel Neal was a very prolific uh, British TV writer. He wrote a lot of sci-fi and horror for British television throughout like the 50s, 60s, and 70s. He was very, very prolific, and he's a wonderful writer. If you can watch any of his stuff, I'd absolutely recommend it. He did Quatermass. Uh, he did the Stone Tapes. Um, yeah. The TV adaption 1984. Like all of his stuff is fantastic. It really is. So they got him in to write a script, and. They then took his script and rewrote it to fuck to the point where he had his name taken mm. off it. And yes. it became something very different and it becomes the movie that we eventually saw because like seven fucking writers worked on this movie and it shows. This movie is a yeah. mess <laughs> of a plot. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why the Hollywood studios still do this where they'll just throw writers at a project. It's like, just get one person who can write the script that you're looking for. Like, that's surely what you want. And... And if, if something's got to the point where it's gone from one writer to seven, I think maybe that's the time to just look for a new script. Well, the basic gist of it was that Nigel Neal wrote a script uh, that followed the basic plot of an evil toy company was making Halloween masks to sell to children yeah. that on Halloween night, the children would wear the masks and watch a TV broadcast and the TV broadcast would kill them. Like, that's the basic gist of this movie. It's like, it's, Which is kind of the the bare bones of the movie. That yeah, like that's still the basic plot. But he wrote a very like more moody, psychological, uh, middling script, I guess. And the producers went, "No blood. We need guts. We need like people dying." And so the script got. This isn't like an especially gory script. Oh, some movie. It has its. Moments, it's it's a particularly uh, mean spirited film. I would say, like all of the deaths in this yeah. movie are not pleasant. No. Yeah, I guess so. But I mean, uh, let, let, let's just briefly sum up the plot of this movie because this movie doesn't have a lot of plot, but what plot it does have is confusing. <laughs> so um, the start of the so, film, yes. uh, a man is seen running away from something, and the something is yes. a car that is following him, and in his hand he's holding a Halloween mask. It's a pumpkin mask, and he eventually mm. finds his way to a gas station where he's like babbling on, like they're gonna kill me, and I have to get away, and you, you, you just, like he's insane. So they send him to a hospital, and he's still got the mask in his hand. He's, like, clutching it the entire time. And he's introduced to uh, Dr. Dan Chalice, who is played by Tom Atkin, who, according to John Carpenter, is the sexiest man alive. This needs to be discussed. This has to be discussed. Yeah. John Carpenter yeah, has a stonk on for Tom Atkin, apparently, and thinks that he is female violent. Yeah. Because this movie, yeah, Tom Atkins is, like, he's grabbing ass, he's slapping booty, and not only that, he's shagging... He's shagging some girl who's old enough to be. Mate, not even that. It's implied that he's shagging everybody else at that hospital. Like, yeah, that's true. Pretty much every female uh, staff member at the hospital. He's like, oh, I just need to call in a favor, and they're like, oh, you. There's a bit where he's, <laughs> yeah, like, like, there's a bit later on in the movie where he calls a nurse and she's like, what do I get out of it? Can I get dinner? He's like, I'll always take you out to dinner, and she's there like, ooh, and I'm like, it's Tom yeah. Atkin. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, the lady's like a gentleman. And this is not the only John Carpenter movie where Tom Atkin is crushing young puss. He fucking does it in the fog. He shags Jamie Lee <laughs> Curtis in the fog. That is true. It's true. <laughs> He's got that dilfy energy about him. He's over a dilf. But anyway, um, <laughs> said crazy pumpkin grabbing man is taken to Tom Atkins' hospital and is still clutching onto this mask like, they're going to kill me. They're going to kill me. And they like sedate him and shit. Um, and then a we should also, yeah we should say alcoholic pussy alcoholic pussy hound Dan Chalice that's what he's going to be known as yeah that. Dan Chalice that is the character um, automatically a more interesting character than anybody else in these movies he's like Doctor Loomis if he crushed puss I suppose um, 
I mean, the fact that that's not all they needed to do with Loomis is just be like, oh, he's drunk the whole time. And suddenly his character <laughs> makes sense. He's always, he's always ranting, he's always waving his gun around. <laughs> but no, Tom Atkins is a functional alcoholic. So, movie. yeah, this guy gets taken to the hospital and they sedate him, and then some dude in a suit just shows up. And uh, I'm not entirely sure what he does to this man's face, but it's pretty horrible, whatever he does. He, yeah. like, tears his skull in half. And this is it? the same dude from, like, who was chasing the guy at the start. It is. It's, uh, and it's also, like, tidbit of trivia. Uh, that is Dick Warlock who played Michael Myers in Halloween 2. It's the same right, guy. Because right. um, he gets crushed between two cars. No, that's start. a different guy. Sorry, that's a different guy. Because Dick Warlock that's is a different in a guy. later part of the movie. Sorry, my bad. That's right. Um, yeah, so, yeah, we talk about that, actually. How did I forget that? So when the dude is being chased at the start, he gets attacked by this man in the suit. And the only way he gets away is by pulling a, seat, like a cinder block out of a tire of a car in a junkyard yes. that crushes the man between two cars. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty amazing. It's it's quite a bold first five minutes, I think. But then when that dude gets taken to the hospital, he then gets murdered. And uh, uh, alcoholic puss hound Tom Atkin is working that night. And uh, a nurse sees the, the dead body and like has like a, a fainting fit. And uh, Dan Chalice decides to run after this guy. Not sure what he's supposed to do. He's like 50. Like I'm amazed he can get it up with these young women, in all honesty. But apparently he's chasing this dude down. Yeah, you know, he's uh, he's quite the man. It, apparently so. Like, apparently so. <laughs> uh, and so he chases this dude down, and he's the true Dick Warlock. <laughs> <laughs> he chases this bloke down, who then sits in his car and pours gasoline over himself and blows himself up, which is spectacular, man. Point out, that's a great it's, scene. Um, that's a great it's scene. A mood. But what makes it even better it's, it's is, and it's a shame this is a podcast so people can't see me act it out, but it's uh, Tom Atkins' reaction to the car blowing up. <laughs> he's like really understated. Yeah, because he's hammered. It's just like, like, oh, <laughs> it's, it's so great. It's so great. Yeah, because he's pissed out of his head. And this isn't a joke, by the way, listeners. Every time, pretty much every scene with Tom Atkins starts with him having a bev. It does, because... The scene that comes after this, I believe, um, he goes home to his wife, who is played by uh, Nancy Keys from uh, yes, the first Halloween from movie. Halloween. He played yeah, Annie. From the first Even one. though they've... Ate- Which must have been very confusing for people who weren't aware that this was not a Michael yeah. Myers movie. Because <laughs> they all just went in there and, oh, that's the chick from Halloween. Who died in the Why first... Why is she married <laughs> to this man? Why is she married to this old drunk? And they've, like, visibly aged her up a few years in this movie. Like, she wasn't, like, yeah. 18 when they made that movie. She was, like, in her 20s when they made the first no, movie. No, no, no. But they've given her, like, a grey wig and shit. Like, it's, it's a weird casting choice. And uh, he goes home strange. to his kids. He's like, I bought your Halloween mask. And they go, but mom already got his mask. She got a silver shamrock, which are, like, way better than yeah, the shit they silver eat. shamrock. Silver yeah. shamrock. Which is... which is the company that's trying to flog these masks. <laughs> which, for some reason, everyone's going crazy for. Even the though shit masks. It's... <laughs> It's just a pumpkin, a witch, and a skeleton. <laughs> I think you really can get that pretty masks. much anywhere, can't you? They're like really that's. <laughs> but it's because they've got the song where it's like, twelve more days to Halloween, Halloween, Halloween." That's how you know this film was low budget. They used a public domain song for that. <laughs> yeah, if it was me, I would have made my own rap. It would have been like, "Yo, bitch, it's Halloween. Get your pussy wet." <laughs> that's what it would have been like. So um, that's how you appeal to the modern youth is through through gangster rap. 
<laughs> so then in the plot, the daughter of the dude who got his face mulched up by the man in the suit shows mm. up. And Tom Atkins yeah. just like, that's a bit of me. Let's have some of that. Um, mm. And because he was clutching a silver shamrock mask, she approaches Tom Atkins' character in a bar where he's getting drunk. Of course he is. Yeah. She's and she's like, fast. something weird happened with my dad. We should like investigate. And he's like, yeah, all right. Um, I feel like that's a promising opening line for Tom Atkins in this movie. Something weird happened with my dad. <laughs> he's like, oh, really? <laughs> And so, uh, this is probably my favourite scene of the movie. He's seen with a six-pack of beer at a phone booth calling his wife, being like, yeah, I've got to go away for a doctor's nice. conference. And she's, like, shouting at him down the phone. He's like, yeah, no, I don't know where the hotel is. I'll see you later. Bye, 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 bye. And, like, gets into this woman's car and drives <laughs> off. <laughs> I should say, he's separated from his wife. But that is included it's in the so like, good. He's, he's not just playing away. So he is good. separated from his wife. It's so good. Yeah. Like it's so funny. But that that scene is that scene is hilarious. And then they go and stay in a hotel, and he's like, "Oh well, I I can get another room, or I can you know sleep on the floor." Because they go to this motel under the pretense that they're a husband and wife. Who the fuck would believe that? I don't know. Because like he could be her granddad. Also, why was that? Why was that necessary? <laughs> he could be her granddad. <laughs> But also, like, what hotel is this where they're like, ah, oh, you can only have a room in Yeah, like, they just didn't life. think this like... plan through. And then she's like, where would you want to sleep? And then he just fucks her. He just fucks her off <laughs> of the back of that line. Like... It reminds me of a scene, um, sorry, this is a complete tangent, but it's a scene that I think you'll find funny. In the Alex Ross Perry movie, The Colour Wheel, where the main character is a brother and sister, but they're not allowed to stay in this Christian hotel because they think that them being brother and sister is an excuse. So they're like, ah, well, you're just going to come in here to fornicate. They're like, okay, no, sorry, sorry. We are actually married. We're married. We're married. <laughs> and, then, and then they're like, oh, yeah, prove it. Kiss. <laughs> that's this really awkward scene where they have to be like, mmm. <laughs> that's amazing. That's a crazy like, movie. That, we should probably, like we should this do that young girl, like, I can't remember the character's name. I'm going to have to look her character's name up now. I think it's Ellie. Yeah, Ellie Grimbridge. That's her name. <laughs> what a name. <laughs> Ellie Grimbridge. <laughs> Ellie Grimbridge is like, Grimbridge yeah, out. Dr. Atkin, doobie. And so, like, they bang. Yeah, she pretty much is. Because, yeah, you're right. He's like, oh, I could sleep on the floor. I could chill in the car. And she's like, oh, you could fuck me. And he's like, all right. And he does. <laughs> and he fucking rags a roar around that fucking room. We don't see it, but we know that happened. Because Tom Atkin don't fuck around. Like, that's just how it is. Because <laughs> when it cuts back to them, there's several broken windows. <laughs> <laughs> so they then... Uh, also, that's not the only time. No, they, they fuck, fuck after movie. that. This movie, he yeah, sucks yeah, her tit. Like once... he sucks her tit. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a move you simply don't see in mainstream cinemas any, uh, cinema anymore. It's just it's the the tits. And like, and like people go like, oh, John Carpenter made this really like disgusting misogynist movie. Like Tom Atkins sucking tit in Tommy Lee Wallace's movie. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, there's nothing wrong with sucking. There isn't, tit. but when you're like 55 and she's like 15, like that's a whole other thing. She's not. <laughs> no, she's like nineteen, twenty, I suppose. But the, yeah. the implication is very bizarre. Um, so they then <laughs> they get this motel just outside of the town where the. Also, sorry, we know. Sorry, we need to cover something else. Like, the first time after they have sex, he literally nuts in this woman, <laughs> then gets up and starts drinking in an alleyway with a homeless. <laughs> he does. Like, that's how he Tom does. Atkins is living in this movie. 
He just immediately is like, well, that's done. I'll just pop out and have a drink with a homeless man. No, because we need to talk about the second time they fucking on this movie. Because it gets even weirder. Because, yeah, he goes and drinks with the homeless guy who then gets his head twisted off, which is glorious, by the way. Like, yes. it's so ridiculously violent. Um, he then goes back to the hotel because the idea why they're at the hotel or the motel or whatever the fuck it is is because they're going to the Silver Shamrock factory where the masks are manufactured, but... It turns out the Silver Shamrock owns an entire. Have we, town. Sorry, I've realised we've gotten we've gotten really far into this movie and we've not mentioned the most crucial plot element of this film, which is, which is that Stonehenge <laughs> has been stolen. <laughs> we completely glossed that over. And the thing about that is, it's the funniest plot detail known to man. I mean, when we watched this a while back at yours, uh, Mark, I it did. Um, you know, I was a little herbally enhanced and I'd forgotten this element of the film. And it sent me into a spiral of I can, laughter for I about 20 minutes. I test. It really did. It broke the room. <laughs> yeah, the idea that Stonehenge going missing is a plot element in and this movie. And it's played um, off in a news broadcast as well. Yeah, yeah. The guy is just watching a news broadcast at the start of the movie, and it's like, ah, oh, Stonehenge has been stolen. And it's like, okay. <laughs> how? Right. How was Stonehenge how, stolen? How did that happen? And I think later in the movie they clarify like a piece of stone. But it's a massive piece. But then you see the piece. <laughs> it's one of the rocks that makes up the the henge, and you're just like, I don't, I don't know if they come away like that. <laughs> They're fused together, are they not? <laughs> but also, even that beggars belief, because I mean at that point, right, in for a penny, in for a pound, nick the whole thing is my <laughs> thing. So they just so nick one of the standing rocks of Stonehenge. Just nick that. Whole and thing. What's even funnier is like people who have probably not seen Halloween three that have heard us talk about the first two movies with like Michael Myers and a mask, like knifing people. This is the weirdest shit imaginable. Yeah, that's the thing about it. It's not even like a similar tone. No, it's to so different. It's so different. It's just a bizarre, weird nightmare. And, and so, uh, yeah. So Stonehenge has gone missing, which we later find out is the, the, <laughs> the fault of Silver Shamrock. But the- you don't even get that in comic book movies anymore. <laughs> fucking, I've stolen Stonehenge. It's not even like a piece. It's like a giant fucking section of it. <laughs> I think everything I'm going to write from now on is going to be set in a universe where Stonehenge <laughs> was stolen at some point. It's not really going to factor into the plot. It'll just be mentioned occasionally in dialogue. Like, oh, this is the former site of Stonehenge before it was stolen <laughs> by the Silver Shamrock Company. So they could make mind-controlling Halloween masks, which kill children, because <laughs> they want to awaken the ancient god of Halloween? Question mark. Is that right? That's Is that right? Basically, it. Yeah, that's basically it. Um, and the robots are not. We haven't relevant. even got to the robots yet. There are robots in this movie. Yes, we have. We've seen. But a we robot don't know they're already. robots yet. We don't know that. Oh, okay. That's a twist. A that's a twist. Apparently. Well, plot twist. There's <laughs> they were part of the plan to steal Stonehenge. I guess they're the ones that stole it. Like they must, have, it must have been the robots. Um, well, they are the agents of the Silver Shamrock Corporation. But before we got derailed by the Stonehenge incident, how is there a corporation? Sorry, how is there a corporation that exists that is not only stealing national monuments and landmarks, but just has an army of robots, and everyone's just can't, no one's noticed this. Like, this hasn't turned up on anyone's watch list it's or anything. It's also the fact like, that, they, like, that the, seems the town that is owned by Silver Shamrock is majority populated by Irish people. <laughs> oh, that's something. This movie is racist towards the Irish. <laughs> that's something that you need to factor you know, in. The thing that I wanted to flag up before we went down the, the hole of the missing Stonehenge is 
In the second yeah. time you see um, Dr. Alcoholic Puss on <laughs> Crusher Tom Atkins slash Dr. Chalmers. It's never not funny, the Stone <laughs> It's just the thing that's funny about that makes it funnier is it's just the news broadcast being like, ah, Stonehenge has gone missing. As if that just be like just a normal thing for a newsreader to say. I mean, I guess if Stonehenge was stolen, I guess they'd have to report it. But I like the idea that no one's figured out where it's gone. They're just kind of like. All right. <laughs> it's just a bunch of like farmers just scratching their heads like, I don't know. Like, I'm pretty sure you wouldn't get very far with any piece of Stonehenge. <laughs> it, gives me, it gives me vibes of Mo stealing the whale in The Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cheese the feds. <laughs> no, the bit that I wanted to talk about was uh, the second time you see Puss Crusher Atkins shagging that young woman is where... Mm. It's it's intercut with a death scene. It's one of the most gruesome death scenes in the movie. But like they're laying in bed together, having just boned, and <laughs> she's yeah. like trying to get on him again. He's like, "Are you not the least bit tired?" <laughs> which is uh, which is <laughs> a myth, admittedly. Um, and she's like, "No, obviously not." She kisses him, and he pushes away and goes, "How old are you?" Yes. Base. <laughs> <laughs> That is some weird Something shit. That's some weird shit. You probably shit. should have ascertained. Some weird shit. Pre the first bone. But also, the death scene that's intercut with is where. I think it is Marge? I think it is Marge Gutman? Is that name? To be fair, it's, only, it's the second most Nazi line in the Yeah, how did we not talk one, about that in the first movie? Yeah, the first one has the bit where fucking Thingy's boyfriend's Bob. like. I'm Bob, he's like, I'm going to rip your clothes off, you're going to rip my clothes off, and then we're both going to rip the, the kids' clothes off. And it's like, ugh. Why did you say that? <laughs> and Linda's laughing at that. Linda's like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> he might be a nonce, it's like, but he's got a truck and he buys me beer. Like, Bob, why did you say that? <laughs> Bob, mate, why? Anyway, to breeze through the rest of Halloween. Yeah, 3, back to. Uh, um, God's sake. So, to recap, Stonehenge has gone this. <laughs> Tom Atkins is crushing puss left, right, and centre. Because there's also one of his first scenes. He's just walking down a corridor with one of the nurses in the hospital. And he just grabs a handful of ass. He just does. He just does. He just... And it's like a proper weighty... Like, it's not a playful... It's a proper... That man is female like Viagra, little, mate, according to John Carpenter. I, I think a digit might have slipped I mean, He probably did, mate. Slipped. He sniffed it afterwards. Yeah. That's just in a deleted scene. Um. He's a disgusting drunkard. <laughs> um, no, sorry. So, at this point, yes. The Silver Shamrock <laughs> Company have made these masks... Um, the kids are all obsessed with the masks for some reason there's a commercial that's constantly playing that's counting down to Halloween but it's also counting down to a broadcast by the Silver Shamrock company on Halloween so that's fine Tom Atkins and his new side piece are investigating matters they come across a company town which you're right is entirely populated by Irish slaves (laughs) who may or may not be robots I guess yeah, who might just be Irish robots, which is even more confusing because then it's like, well, why? I mean, I know it's called Silver Shamrock, but why have you made the uh, the robots Irish? Presumably, because uh, you know you've actually brought up a new wrinkle to this because it's not entirely clear if they're humans or robots. But they're kind of at, because like, well, there's clearly humans in the town because the the homeless guy that he drinks with badmouths uh, Colonel Cochran, who is the guy that runs yes, that's Silver right. Shamrock, who is the antagonist. And isn't the, I think that I I always thought the idea was more like they're mind controlled or whatever because that's and like, I suppose if he's drinking, he's not susceptible to the mind control. I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's um, not very well thought through, but yeah, he badmouths Colonel Cochrane, 
and has his head twisted off for his troubles. Um, and Colonel Cochrane is the head of the. Well, I guess he that that guy doesn't because he's the the bum. Yeah, he's right? the drunkard. So, yeah. So he's probably not actually an employee of the town. No, or he might be like an ex employee who's now a drunkard. Yeah. Because he clearly knows anyway, a lot. These about are questions that. But, um, these are questions that don't need no, to be asked no, no, in a but film like, like Stone, Stonehenge. The way the rest of the movie goes is they investigate the Silver Shamrock Company, they meet Colonel Cochrane. Um, <laughs> like something out of fucking Carmen San Diego. <laughs> it's just like, what does that, what does that even mean? Stonehenge from the same. But they're investigating Silver Shamrock, and eventually they get rumbled because they're not, you know, not who they appear to be. They're not, they're not a married couple, shocker. And well, this fifty-year-old man <laughs> and this sixteen-year-old girl that he's brought with him are not actually married. That's so she gets captured by Silver Shamrock. I feel like most motels don't really care. No, that's like, the... If somebody's rocking up, they know what the they're motels there for. are there for you to just you know wipe your dick on the curtains. That's that's kind of their purpose. <laughs> I mean, I can't imagine some like the proprietor of some sleazy motel off the highway being like. I'm sorry, I need to see your, your marriage certificate. <laughs> this woman who's clearly only been allowed to legally marry for about three Is she months? even allowed to vote? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can this woman drink in America is the question. <laughs> but the way the fucking climax of this movie runs down is she gets captured by the Silver Shamrock Company. He eventually does as well. And then Colonel Cochrane, for yeah. some reason, decides to show him the intention of the masks, which is the children will wear the masks on Halloween night watching the broadcast, and it will kill them because they want to be sacrifices to some pagan gods or some shit. Right. And so we have this really quite gruesome scene where we see a little kid watching the broadcast and uh, he dies and his head births snakes and locusts and all kinds of other shit. And it's a, it's a great scene. It's like one of the best scenes of the movie. By the way, this is this is another thing that I find baffling about this movie. He's like, I'm going to use my robots and my mind control devices and all the rest of it to bring about a new era of paganism where magic and witchcraft will be commonplace. And it's like, okay... I'm not sure what's going on. <laughs> yeah, it's why is the man who's like Johnny Robots also Johnny Magic? Well, because I mean like, the, the robots here? are kind of partially explained by the fact that like Silver Shamrock were a toy company, so that doesn't explain. They, that, they do. I need, they, you to, I need you to understand they, that toy company does not equal. I know that you live in the Beano, <laughs> but um, for those of us who don't, no, 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 they do. Have toy a company scene. does they not do have equal a scene where you see the animatronic woman knitting and they basically go that's the, that's the genesis of the robots and it's like whatever fair enough like whatever it just doesn't surely it would make more sense if they weren't robots they were like some kind of like, homunculus or something like a right? yeah a homunculus yeah. or something yeah like he made them out of clay or something because he's supposed to be like some kind of wizard but he's also a robot man and like normally in a movie like this where they're like I want to bring back the age the age of paganism and witchcraft they're against technology. But in this movie, he's like, no, I like technology. I just would rather we all worshipped some well, ancient He's ultimately deity. using technology to kill the children because he's using television. So... Yeah. Which, by the way, I don't... Uh, this it makes no fucking sense. It it's a stupid sense. movie. Um, yeah. But... It is a stupid movie. But then... Um... Stonehenge went missing. <laughs> we simply can't find it. But then, that yeah, the finale of this movie is he seemingly... Because they hugged... Hang on. They hugged that rock... From fucking, <laughs> well, from Stonehenge, 
to California. Magic, mate. It's magic. And no one, no one noticed. No it's one magic. noticed. No one noticed. No one noticed a, a ship big enough to take that chunk of Stonehenge from Stonehenge to California. No one picked up on that. <laughs> Or the fact that it, the, the, presumably the ship was staffed entirely by robots. Who knew? <clears throat> Maybe they, they go to the same kind of lax security school as people on the Death Star, where they just scan it and go, oh, no life forms on the ship, so it must be fine. <laughs> I'm sorry, this, but that's one of the things that actually genuinely nerd bugs me about Star Wars, where I'm like, excuse me, you live in a world where there's robots. I'd just fire off a laser about you, just be on the safe side. Just be on the safe side. If there's an escape pod leaving the ship that you've just boarded... Belt and braces, mate. Fire a laser off. <laughs> Just do it. There's no life forms on board. You know what I mean? Well, the, the whole laser Stonehenge bastard. thing gets even fucking weirder in the finale of the movie because they reveal <laughs> that all the masks contain a piece of Stonehenge that they're putting in the mask to activate magic. And at the end of the movie, mm. when Dr. Puss Crusher Alcoholic saves Ellie after she's been captured, they yes. activate the broadcast and he pours a whole bunch of the silver shamrock logos full of stonehenge into the lab and it kills everybody which is weird I anyway um and I then for some reason all the computers in the stonehenge rock react and turn colonel cochran's face white i don't understand this part of the movie i don't know what's happening i don't know what's going on like the right forces now. of stonehenge rebel I, I don't even fucking know i don't know. i don't know i don't Mark. I'm not even clear what Stonehenge is, is doing here. Me neither. But then the finale of the movie is that he's driving away with Ellie in the car and he's like, we have to stop the TV broadcast. We have to stop it from happening. And then it's revealed that Ellie is a robot. Yeah, that was weird. However, I do think she, in some sense... Was she replaced by a robot? I think, yeah, I think that's how I always read it. Is like when they capture her, they've replaced her with a robot because she's dead, like they've killed her. So when he's driving away right. with her at the end, it's the robot version of her, and then obviously he kills. But also, to to what purpose would? I suppose there's like a thing? trap for him. Maybe Colonel Cochrane wasn't expecting him to kill all of the staff. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I you don't just know. shoot him. I don't know. Just I shoot him. Know. You've clearly not got a problem with killing people. They don't. Like, you've you've done they it don't. throughout this movie. Um, but have one of your robots kill. But him. So Ellie's a robot, and he like puss crusher kills. Drop a hen- drop a henge on him. And puss crusher kills her. And then uh, he goes to a gas station, the same gas station from the start of the movie, because apparently that's just outside the town of the, the Irish robots. And he goes on the phone and he starts like saying, like, turn, the, turn the signal off, turn the signal off, turn the signal off. And so one channel turns it off. And he goes to the next channel. He's like, turn it off, turn it off, turns it off. The third channel comes up and it's still playing it. And I do actually kind of like the ending of this movie where it ends with him screaming down the phone to turn it off and you never know whether or not they do. Um, well, I hate to break it to you, Mark, but that um, ending, they, they probably do manage to turn the signal off because of just the sheer uh, time zone difference between the yes, two. Yes, I have read about this. I have read about this. Um, where they've got, they've got comfortably like three or four hours before the, the West Coast gets hit by this. So they've got a lot of response time. Well, I do know that the original ending that Tommy Lee Wallace uh, decided against was that the, it was supposed to cut to the credits over the sounds of thousands upon yeah, thousands children, of children screaming. children screaming which I'm like that would be a really fucked up ending to yeah so the movie, the movie the movie just just kind of end doesn't it with Tom Atkins being like turn off yeah it's a very abrupt ending. I don't think it's a, I think it's an effective ending like I think it's probably I think it's I fine. think it's the most effective it's part weird. of the movie <laughs> yeah it'd be a more effective ending if I gave a shit or understood what was happening <laughs> 
So what are your thoughts so, on Halloween for you? It's pretty it's bad, pretty bad man. <laughs> I think it's to use our system. I think it's just shit. I mean, there's elements that I like about it, like Stonehenge being stolen. <laughs> but that's the thing. It's like the, this is kind of the thing where it's like that is so funny, and the idea that like no one, no one got wind of the fact that like Stonehenge was just shifted from one side of the world to the other. That's funny, but like the movie kind of wants me to take it seriously as well, and it's like. Like, the horror scenes are not played for comedy. They're no, for I like, think it's oh, only really, like, the death is. scenes that are played very seriously. Because they are quite gruesome mm. in this film. Like, they're actually... They're, they're probably some of the more gruesome ones in the franchise up until you get to, like, the David Gordon Green movies, which are, like, horrendously violent. Um, but I think, I think overall, like, it's... It's just kind of not that interesting a movie to... Like, they're obviously, like, the famous scenes or the death scenes and stuff that we've alluded to are, like... They're entertaining in their way, but this is like an hour and 40 minutes long. And most of that runtime is just Tom Atkins kind of chuffing about. And like, I think he's maybe a more interesting protagonist than a lot of these kind of movies would have. Because he's like, got a personality, which is always... Well, his entire personality is getting drunk and fucking women that are way younger than him, but... Yeah, which, you know, I I agree with. Um, As a lifestyle choice. (laughs) (laughs) The no, I just kind of think the movie just is it's it doesn't really hang together in any way. No, I mean I enjoy it on a level, but I have to admit when I was watching it for this, I wasn't really paying that much attention. Like when we watched it together, I had a lot more fun in that capacity watching yes. it with you. But like watching it again last night, I I I really wasn't that engaged. Whereas like when I rewatched the first two, the the Michael Myers movies, I found I find those a lot more engaging and a lot more into, enjoyable. Um, yeah. Ultimately, though, like I don't think. I mean, it's not a good movie, but I don't hate it. I don't think it's a particularly, like, bad movie. It's very watchable, but it's, yeah, it's not quite... Yeah, I mean, it's not even the worst Halloween movie. I admire that they tried something different. It's a shame it didn't quite work out, because had this film been... Yeah, it's a shame that they tried this. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) like, like, it's kind of weird, isn't it? For their first experiment outside of the slasher movie, they went so far in the other direction that it became incomprehensible yeah. nonsense. I think it just doesn't have its own... Like, it doesn't really have a sense of its own like identity. Because like I said, this movie's called Season of the Witch, which makes you think of like, oh, you know, paranormal, pagan type stuff. But most of it's like robots and TV signals that kill you. And it's not even revealed why it's called Season of the Witch until the end of the movie. Like, before I saw this film, I all I knew about it was... Um, this is obviously going back ages now, but was, you know, oh, it's a Halloween movie, it's not got Michael Myers in it, it's called Season of the Witch. So I assumed that, like, the villain would be, you know, a, a witch. <laughs> but um, that's not what's going on here. So when I first saw this movie, and I was like, is this a movie about robots? Like, what, what's happening here? <laughs> I, was, I was so confused. And I think that confusion has lingered to this day, to be honest. Where this, there's something about it that just, it doesn't make any sense. Like, if it, maybe if it, even if it had a different title, you know, that might, you know... It, it kind of that. feels like a low-tier Twilight Zone episode, doesn't it? It has that kind of quality Yeah, to Yeah, or kind of like a not-well-thought-out Doctor Who Yeah, that's actually like that. something like, I was... It feels like that kind yeah. of 70s British sci-fi horror kind of thing. Um, well, I mean, it's based on Nigel. Well, yeah, of course it is. So, like, but like, it really has that, that kind of energy to it. But I think that's something as well, that, like, Nigel Neal's stuff, like Quatermass or the Stone Tapes or whatever, like, it does often... 
have that element of the supernatural like interacting with technology um but i think this movie just doesn't make that make sense no it's like it's it's just kind of like this guy's a witch and he's also a robotics guy it kind of says something to me where like the twist of michael being laurie's brother makes more sense in this movie yeah yeah I mean, even if they just had, like, Colonel Cochrane be like, ah, but technology is the witchcraft of the modern yeah, that day. Would like, make they just acknowledge that it's weird. It's just, it's one of those things where there's, like, there's so much plot happening that makes no sense, and the characters never seem to respond to the fact that, like, what's happening is bizarre and strange. They're just kind of like... Just along for the ride, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> no, that checks out, yeah. Silver Shamrock, annoying commercial... Probably going to sacrifice a bunch of kids. Make, makes I, I, if I have to like highlight some of the stuff that I like in this movie, um, again, like the the sort of the more sort of horror centric scenes, I think do work a little bit, and I really like that montage towards the end where um, where you've got Tom Atkins is like tied up and stuff. But then you see that montage of all the kids around America who are going home from trick or treating. I think that's quite yeah. good. Like that really sets a tone. But yeah, this movie's kind of hot garbage. <laughs> Is is um, and I think it could have been it could have been interesting if they'd if they dispensed with the sci-fi elements and made it about you know there's kind of some sinister cult or something like that that's targeting the children on Halloween that could have been something. But it's not that. It's not that. So I or if they dispensed if they dispensed with the witch elements and just had it be like a sci-fi thing. So I think I'm gonna have to Aiden say it's hmm. it's approaching shit, but I love it but there's not enough of it for me to love, I think. Yeah, I think that's kind of where I'm at. I think it's just kind of It's kind of shit. Like, I can understand why it's got a cult following, uh, because it has amassed quite the cult following. Yeah. Like, when this, it's worth noting that when this movie came out, like it was a fucking failure. Like Critics and fans hated it. It bombed at the box office. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those things I think, you know, coming out at a time before there was really internet, like, if you just heard Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, you would think, oh, it's another Halloween movie. And then you went to go and see it, and it was this. You'd be like, um, what? <laughs> <laughs> You'd just be baffled. And like, and especially when you consider, like, in those days, like, a big thing that sold movies was word of mouth, because the original Halloween became yeah. successful on word of mouth. This is the opposite. People would have gone to seeing this movie and gone, don't fucking go see Halloween 3. It's not even Yeah, Halloween, it's, like, it's got nothing it? to do with Michael Myers. And, like, those days, like, the only way you would have found that out is by, what, reading Fangoria? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd have to know ahead of time. Like, it's not, it's not like nowadays when you can have five different Batman franchises running at the same time, and everyone just follows that. I mean, somehow. even you know, keeping it in theme with this episode, like the the David Gordon Green Halloween movies, which we're going to talk about eventually, they made it very Terrible clear things. from the outset that none of the sequels were continuity. They before the movie came yeah. out, they made that abundantly clear. I wish we lived in a world where I didn't have to read about what fucking universe this movie was set in before I went to see it. I wish you could just see a goddamn movie and it just it begins. And you know, okay, do you know what? I'm actually elevating the season of The Witch to good. Because it's a movie where I could sit down, watch it without having seen 15 previous movies or having to have some idea of what the next 15 movies are going to be. Well, Does it make sense? No. Are the characters engaging? Definitely not. But, you know. Well, to cap it ended. to cap this episode off, and I'm not going to see another one of to these. To cap this off, because you've given me the perfect uh, way of capping this off. 
Caput bitch. The whole, you know, not having to see so many movies. The David Gordon Green trilogy wasn't the first time that Halloween went, fuck it. It was not the first time. No. We're getting into this. Halloween has multiple timelines, people. It has multiple <sighs> timelines. Right, how many, let's get into this now. How many timelines are there? There's the, the original timeline. There's the original timeline, which, depending, goes Halloween 1, Halloween 2, Halloween H2O, Halloween Resurrection. That's the original timeline. Okay. You then have the form about timeline, the return of which return goes of Michael Myers. Halloween? Huh? Isn't Return of the Michael That's Myers? That's four. So the next one? four, five, and six That's are the four. Fallen trilogy, which is what we're covering in the next episode. But hang on. So four isn't part of the original no, it timeline. But H2O yes. is. Why? Because <laughs> we'll get into this again. But <laughs> so four, five, and six are the Fallen trilogy. And Halloween. Stop saying that. Tell me what you're talking about. Please. So four, five, and six are about Michael going after his niece because Laurie isn't in those right, movies. Okay. Yes. And then in Halloween H two O, they disregard four, five, and six. Okay. Yeah, because in the four, sure. five, and six movies, Laurie is dead. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Again, this is for and next time. Made... This is for next time. Oh my god. Okay. So then they just made Halloween. H2O. And then Resurrection and then is a sequel to H2O, so that's that timeline. That. Yeah. Even though, again, this is like a little... So, so far, that's three timelines within one franchise, if you count Season of the Witch as a And then thing. four, if you include the David Gordon Green movies. Yes. Which are a separate timeline that branches <laughs> And then you get five if you include the, the Rob Zombie ones. <laughs> oh my god, that's so confusing. <laughs> now, hang on, no, it's, only, it's still only four. Right? Hang on, let, let's figure this out. So there's timeline... There's the basically, okay, so they call it, okay, you have the Laurie storyline, which is... I'm not calling it whatever the dumb nerds call it. There's the prime yeah. timeline. There's the stupid Laurie's niece timeline. Yeah, Laurie's daughter, yeah. There's the stupid H2O... Oh, yeah, Michael's niece. Eight, there's the stupid H2O No, timeline. that's still the first timeline. Oh, that's still the first timeline. Yeah. But doesn't she have a daughter in that one? No, she has a son in H2O. Oh, my God. Okay, so, okay, okay, let's start again. <laughs> There's the Halloween Prime Which timeline. is 1, 2, there's, H2O Resurrection. Yes. Then there's the Season of the Witch. Which is its own thing. Which is consists of one yep. movie. Then there's the the, the Thorn but, timeline. So that encapsulates Halloween 1 and 2, and then 4, 5, yeah. and 6. Right. Because no other so Halloween So that's what's confusing, is that multiple movies can appear on multiple times. So, like, the first Halloween is in all the It's in every single time, apart, apart from, from Season, Season of the, the Witch. Witch. Yeah, <laughs> that's so confusing. Okay, so hang on. So we've got the Thorn timeline, and then we've got Rob Zombie, which is its own four. thing, not connected to any of the other movies. Yeah. And then we've got David Gordon Green, which is five, but is connected to Halloween. So you have so the David Gordon Green movies. It's just the original, and then it's the three David Gordon Green yes. movies. Yeah, yeah, but that's its yeah, own time. That's its own timeline. That also includes that also includes the first yes. one in a roundabout sort of way. Yeah. And kind of includes the second one. The more those movies go on, but not really. Well, again, this is going to come up when we talk about it. But I mean, this is a franchise where there's three Halloween twos. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> there's there's three Halloween twos, only two of which are called Halloween two. Yes, because Halloween Kills is but, technically Halloween. But that is still Halloween yeah. two because it's the sequel to Halloween, and- which is a 2018 film, which is somehow a sequel to Halloween set in And Halloween Kills also has a large portion of its plot that takes place in a hospital. It just is the same movie. <laughs> they even like the bit where the guys are like trashing the Myers house, like 
That's the entire Evil Dies Tonight subplot, but they just expanded well, This is also going to come up when we talk about Halloween Kills. And there's just one little thing I want to flag up before we say goodbye, because this episode has ran very long of us just rambling about these movies. Is the even though they make a point of being like Halloween 2 is not canon, there's a shot in Halloween Kills in a flashback yeah, that is from Halloween, Halloween 2. Yeah. Dumb. Fucking pissed me off to high heaven when I saw it in the cinema. I was like, why disregard it if you're going to fucking show footage from it? <laughs> Evil dies tonight. Evil dies tonight. Evil dies tonight. Where's my like twelve-inch dance remix of that? That's what I want to know. <laughs> also, do they even disregard Halloween? No, oh, they we'll do. They we'll do. We'll Halloween never happened. No, I know they said that. No, no. Listen, listen. I know they said that. But then, as but then the other two movies. So Halloween twenty eighteen makes perfect sense disregarding Halloween two. Halloween kills and Halloween ends. Don't we'll get into they this, don't work like, because they disregard Halloween too. This is this is it. But also like they don't make sense because yeah yeah because right 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 because the thing about Halloween one he only kills a few people then Halloween two he goes on a big rampage. So the fact that everyone in the town is like oh remember when Michael Myers like killed all our relatives? This is what like, I've been saying. That doesn't make sense unless that Halloween two because happened. think about it the town would be more outraged. If Michael not only killed a bunch more people, but also, you know, blew up half of their hospital and left them without a hospital. Yes. But the only reason they want to disregard Halloween 2 is so they don't have to get into the stupid he's a brother thing. Which is, you know what, you could just go, they're not actually... You, like, people wouldn't care. I wouldn't care. I don't think anyone should care about these films. No, and, and I hate that I do. <laughs> Anyway, that's... Let's just go, Let's just go. This is going to be a long old series, guys. I'm so sorry. This is... I mean, these are the three good ones. (laughs) These are the three that Mark was like, no, this will be the nice, easy, breezy one. We're not getting into the heavy shit yet. Oh, mate, the the form timeline is a fucking mess. Stop calling it the form timeline. Yes, it it is. It's the form timeline. No, it isn't. That's what some sweaty virgin nerds have decided it's called. And I refuse to accept well, it. Well, tough shit, bitch. <laughs> Thorn timeline. Just fucking right. Listen, I've got to say something here. I've got to say something to the to the audience here who are listening to this. Gather around. Listen, if you're at the point in your life where, number one, you're in a fandom for anything, and that's how you regard yourself, not just, I'm an enjoyer of this thing, I'm in a fandom, please go outside and touch grass. Number two, if you're not only in a fandom... But you're the kind of person who's like, right, well, we need to come up with a little name for all the timelines to organise them. I'm sorry you have to die. <laughs> I'm sorry, you do. People like you have ruined popular culture. You're the reason that Black Panther 2 Wakanda forever exists. It's people like you. It is. And, um, you know, people like you are now the big voice in, in Hollywood these days. And it sickens me. It sickens me. Because now, even though I'm a nerd, I now have to sit there watching movies and, like, pretending to care about the Thrump timeline or the Chumbly Bum timeline or, oh, the alternate version of Scrimble Crank. And you have to go, right, I just, I don't, I don't care. Just give me a movie, please. I would like to see a film. And on that note, join us next time for Halloween's 4, 5, and 6. Although I enjoyed the film with Regan. Oh, did you? You didn't tell me about that. Yeah, I saw that. Okay, well, we'll talk about that off mic because we've kept these people long enough.
Alright, well, it's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from me. And, Michael, do you want to say something? It's more Darth Vader than (laughs) (laughs) And I'm Mithrigan, the crazy robot. (laughs) Goodbye! Just whistle a happy tune.